APG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 368. You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door, with your host, Captain Jeff, at the controls, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 28th of March, 2019. Yeah, he's up in the sky. In today's episode, a British Airways flight sets off in the wrong direction and lands in the wrong city. And a Russian man tried to board a flight in Moscow without any clothes on, saying it makes him more aerodynamic. More news, your feedback, and in today's Plane Tales, Tenerife. So get all settled in, tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 368 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger, a real radio professional, for that awesome introduction. And you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, an aviation podcast where we talk about news in aviation, and we answer your feedback. And helping me to do that today, from her lakeside studio in South Carolina, she's a doctor, a skydiver, a marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated pilot, Dr. Steph. That sounds like me. Hi, Captain Jeff. Nice to see you. Good to see you. Sorry for the delay on my part, which no one listening to this actually knows about. Right. Just disregard what I What are you talking about? We're right on time. I I don't know. (laughs) Okay. Well, I'm going to go ahead and push this button here and introduce our next APG crew member, co-host, from his studio in the English countryside. A professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, current captain for an international airline based in London, at least for the next month and a half, Captain Nick. <laughs> hi, Jeff. And hi there, Steph. Welcome back from work. What Thanks. a dreadful day you've had to put up with. Anyway, fabulous. Yeah. I've, uh, I'm standing up for this show, trying to get my back sorted. So I'm looking forward to another good one. <sighs> Ouch. Okay, so you got to get us up to date then for, uh, for all the listeners out there uh, that uh, have been hearing about all of your back woes. Whoa. Um, what, how's it going? Is it feeling any better? Yeah, slowly, very slowly. I'm sorry to say, but uh, I'm sure I'll be back in the chair before too long. The only problem is, so long as I'm moving, I can seem to be able to maintain everything fine. It's when I actually sit down for any length of time that everything that becomes painful and stiffens up. So, sadly, my job involves an awful lot of sitting down. So, yeah, I mean, I've spent all day today working in the garden and, uh, uh, half an hour in my chair here behind me, and I'm already in agony. Well, I mean, even people whose backs aren't bad when you're working in the garden all day long, we feel the same way, at least us <laughs> older Sitting is older about folk. the worst thing you can do for your back in terms of the amount of pressure you can place on your lower back. Oh, I just hate uh, it. Yeah. So oh. anyway, I'm, uh, I'm working on my core muscles. So there you go. Hopefully that will... Be fine, but for the moment, I'm sadly not going to be in Washington. 
Oh no! The meetup ah. in Washington is gone, and I may not even get to Barbados. And I know you're really terribly sad about all of this. Yeah, three nights in Barbados. That was going to be quite reasonable, I think. But uh, there you go. The weather's oh, well. good in the UK right now, so that's, hmm. that's not bad. Oh. And, I've had, and I've had a good uh, time over the last few days. I mean, I've been able to move around a bit. I even got all the way up to Manchester. Well, tell us about that. Well, it was fabulous. Uh, there's an aviation society up there in Ma- Manchester, imaginatively called the Aviation Society. <laughs> Aptly named. <laughs> Aptly named. Uh, and uh, one of our fine listeners, Simon, he, lovely bloke, he uh, suggested to the hierarchy that I might come and uh, entertain them on one of their monthly get-togethers. Um, and they, they, they've got a fabulous spot there. Um, they've got a, a big sort of viewing area right beside the runway there at Manchester. And they've got a hangar. And you'll never guess what's in this hangar. An airplane? Yeah. I knew it. Concorde. I couldn't oh. unmute fast enough to say airplane, but. Uh. <laughs> we knew you'd have that answer too. Ding. Uh, they anyway. have a Concorde in there. Ooh. Wow. Not it's just any airplane. And not only do they have uh, one of the Concords in there, they have managed to get the nose drooping up and down. They can make the nose go up and down, which hmm. considering the Concorde can't do much else now, it's pretty impressive. <laughs> I, I, I can't wait for them to see them put the gear up and down. Yeah, well, you know, if you can get it to go up and down at that age, that's a pretty good thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the way it's sitting, if they, they'll get it up once, but they'll never get it down again. <laughs> well, if it lasts for four more than four hours, and you need the recommendations yeah, to contact the emergency department. No, wait a minute. You call your oh. friends first. <laughs> right. You got to come Have over. You ever here. had? Yeah. You got to see. Have and you then, ever had this happen to you? And then your second call is to the doctor or emergency room. Absolutely. And so don't anyway, even... I got up to Manchester and had a, a, a lovely time up there. In fact, I think Simon sent in some uh, some feedback, a little uh, description. Did he? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, I don't think so. I don't remember getting any. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Here we go. Hello there, APG crew and the community out there. This is Simon from Manchester in the UK. Long time listener to the show, but first time I've submitted any feedback. So I had the pleasure of meeting Captain Nick on Monday of this week, as he had kindly agreed to come up to Manchester to give a talk to the Aviation Society up here. This is a group of like-minded aviation enthusiasts, which meets every few weeks at the runway visitor park beside Manchester Airport. As expected, there was a great turnout for Nick's presentation, and he certainly didn't disappoint. He gave us a thoroughly entertaining evening, talking about his career in the RAF, his time flying in Australia, and then latterly, his time flying for Acme Red. It was fascinating to hear his experiences, and he had plenty of anecdotes to throw in, which had us in fits of laughter. And also, he managed to save some time for a questions and answers session towards the end of the evening, so that members could pick his brains with a variety of aviation-related questions. It really was a brilliant evening, and it was so good to see an APG crew member in Manchester. So many thanks to Nick, and I hope he'll be able to find some space in his diary for another visit in the not too distant future. And if others get the opportunity to hear Nick's presentation elsewhere in the UK or even beyond, I would highly recommend it. So that's all from me. Thanks to all of the APG crew for a great show. 
I wish you all and the community blue skies and tailwinds and unlimited visibility. Bye for now. Well, that was very nice of him to send in that that feedback. How much did you have to pay him for that? <laughs> quite, quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> about where I made them all laugh. Was I he mean, the only one there? <laughs> well, by the end, yes. <laughs> no, I wish I had been able to go as well. And I would love to have uh, heard your your talk. And I'm sure you well, had them all in stitches. A lovely bunch of people. That's that's primarily why you would have enjoyed it. The great bunch of enthusiasts. A lot of them work or used to work uh, at the airfield, so they've sort of maintaining their connection. Um, a lot of our plane spotters, just enthusiasts of, of all uh, description. So uh, it was really nice. And the questions, to be fair, the questions they ask, I think are always a, always a measure of uh, how much uh, interest they take in aviation because uh, they are some really good questions that, you know, not just the, the usual run-of-a-mill uh, things you kind of expect, but some really nice uh, ones that gave me a chance to... Uh, talk about other areas uh, of uh, aviation. So it was a pleasure being out there. Lovely bunch of people. Excellent. Well, did anybody record it? Did you? Nope. Uh, Neville uh, let me down. I'm only joking. Uh, he's <laughs> got, I think, I think <laughs> he's got enough recordings of me doing talks. So, uh, no, uh, there, was, there was no recording. So that's it. It's going to be. Uh, and by the way, uh, there was someone there saying, uh, oh, um, I I work with the Cluid Aviation Group. Could you come up to Chester, perhaps? Cluid uh, being uh, Welsh for Wales. Oh, I think. And if I got that wrong, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, we'll Welsh, let you know. Welsh Wales people. Yeah. Um, but no, they they've got one uh, just on the Welsh border. Well, near the Welsh border, dear Chester. So uh, they've asked me to go up there as well and chat to them. So that would be quite be a drive, wouldn't it? Well, as is Manchester, it's about four yeah. hours. So Ooh, it's, wow. Yeah, it's quite a long way up there. And get back again. I, I, I was rather hoping someone more local might say, yeah, <laughs> come and chat to us. So that would be much more fun. Like nearby Farnborough. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That would be good. Yeah. So we're looking forward to having another great meetup there. Oh, never mind. Uh, damn. Yeah. Wah, wah. <laughs> yeah. So we much for that. <laughs> It's all right. I think there's some uh, push for Riot, perhaps. Oh, that well, would be Riot. A, yeah, good. Riot. So, yeah, that that is actually uh, an, a very enjoyable air show. Yeah, well, perhaps oh, we right, do another think. show at Captain Nigel's place. I hope that they have the. Uh, <laughs> never mind. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> the one demonstration team that had me in stitches, but they, oh, they <laughs> but they weren't supposed. It wasn't supposed to. Be funny. <laughs> Anyway, it was I don't want unintentionally to, I, funny. I think yeah. I know who you're talking about. I'm not going to say anything else because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Mm. Uh, but it was uh, it was good. I was going. Um, is this a joke? <laughs> <laughs> no, they're serious. Okay, got it. We'll All right. Lightly at the end. Then. Yes. Yes. Good. Good job. Good try. Great job. Um. All right. Actually, it was the commentator that was the funny part. Um, the, the actual people flying the, the demonstration, they were doing a pretty nice job. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, anything else, uh, Captain Nick, besides your, your talk? Uh, not that no. they're, 
you know, could possibly be anything that would top that. But it hasn't actually been that long since the last I know. show. It's only been a few I've days. I've been flat strapped trying to get everything uh, done, including uh, the plane tail for today. Awesome. So, no, I, I haven't had a moment's uh, peace, quite honestly. Okay. Well, then let's move on over to the lovely Dr. Steph. How have you been? Good. And it's actually been quite a bit longer since I've seen the two of you for a show. Oh, that's right. You weren't with us. With you for the last one. Um, Yes, my apologies. I um, just really needed a family weekend, had a whole bunch of stuff to get done, and we couldn't make the timing work out during the week. And by the time the weekend rolled around, people in the house and things to do and people to catch up with. And sometimes that just family has to take a little bit of priority. I'm sorry. Obviously, you don't have your priorities straight. I know. Different, different family, not you guys, because obviously you're family too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're um, a much bigger family. That's right. That's right. Um, but yes, my apologies. It was actually a very nice weekend, so got a lot of stuff accomplished. Um, got everything in order for my taxes and got those done last night, finally, and um, some yard cleanup and all kinds of other stuff. So, um, Any flying? Yeah. No, not last weekend. Again, the fan. Well, just stuff to do around the house kind of kept me from doing that. I was trying right. to get out yesterday, um, but I forgot that I had scheduled my appointment to get my taxes done yesterday. It's been a great day for it. Um, is my video breaking up there at all for you guys or no? It's it okay. just kind of did a... Yeah, that's yeah. like what it's doing on my end too. I'm sorry. Okay. I don't know what's going on. Ugh. Well, it must be that really low bandwidth you have, like 190 down. Yeah, obviously. And that's what's... 500 million up, whatever it is. Are you, are you there? Wow, that's really nice. Yeah. <laughs> completely there for a second. I know. <laughs> sorry. That's okay. It's going to be your, just, I'm sorry. Just work it's it just out. It's just been that kind of, I know, right? Come on. I just, you know, I just need the internet to continue <laughs> to play nice. Um, but yeah, I didn't get to tell you that, you know, Nick's been on the injured reserve list a little bit. I think I'm joining the the ranks momentarily there. I, uh, last week was out just running, training, doing some stuff I normally do and suddenly developed all this pain in my knee and I don't know quite why. I, um, I know. <laughs> yeah. So, so do I, I could have a dare. <laughs> I have a feeling I know what it is. Yeah. Well, it's really, it's running obviously. Um, that's what I was going to say, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, usually, I mean, these things come up, you know, and usually it's something where I can easily pinpoint where the problem seems to be. I can get in with physical therapy. We can work it out and no big deal. Usually it's muscular type stuff. This has been something different and I'm not quite sure what I did to it. Um, I've gone through all different kinds of theories about what could be producing the discomfort I'm having. Um, cause it doesn't ever seem to stay in the same place. It kind of just moves around a little bit. And finally, I broke down today. And the reason I was late getting here is because I pestered one of my uh, orthopedic colleagues in the office across the street to see if I could come in and just have them take a look at it. Um, and so I snuck onto the end of their schedule. And of course, they were running like an hour behind by the time I got over there. Um, but he's, he's a great guy. I was really appreciate him seeing me. Um, we decided on a cortisone shot. So that was a lot of fun. Mm. Um, yeah, it's kind of on the receiving end today. And yeah, then so I got how does to, it feel, huh? It's fine. It's perfectly fine. Yeah, it didn't it's hurt. Not that at all. No, it's fine. Okay. Um, so we'll see how that does. We'll give it a little bit of time. Um, the only thing I really can't do is run right now. It only 
produces pain when I try and run. Walking is fine. I've been on the elliptical. I got in the pool. Um, so I'm not really sure. We had made a couple of ideas. He had a couple of more ideas about what it might be. If this doesn't do the trick, we'll take a further look at it with a MRI and just make sure. But I mostly wanted to make sure it was. He didn't think it was a stress fracture just because it's been kind of vague and where it seems to come and go and hurts mostly with pressure on it. But we couldn't isolate anything, so he doesn't think it is. So that's kind of good news. And uh, da, 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 da. what else? Oh, and then I got to um, play in traffic on the way home, which further delayed me because apparently they've taken the freeway on ramp to the main freeway. I have to take home down to like one lane when it's normally like four lanes. Um, Ouch. Yeah. Nice. So what I've been and it's been like that for like two weeks now. So what I've been doing is cutting through neighborhoods. Well, today they've also decided to narrow one of those roads down to one lane. And it seems like everyone else has figured out that they should probably be going through the neighborhoods as well. And they're all out bad. to get you, Steph. <laughs> so, everyone's out to get me. It's all. That's what it is. It's a conspiracy. <laughs> oh, Steph. It's not fair. I just want to yeah. say on behalf of Nick and myself that we are very supportive of you. And we hope that whatever <laughs> it is, that's a problem with your knee that they kind of, you know, it can be all fixed and because we love you. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you had nothing that prompted you to say that no. whatsoever. No, yeah. it just came from my heart. Thank you. No, I appreciate heart. that very much. Yeah. Very yeah. much. <laughs> Have you thought of using a scooter? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> it's not that bad. <laughs> that's that's not being helpful, Nick. <laughs> okay. It's a good idea. But no. <laughs> Unnecessary at this point. I'll let you know if it comes to that. Oh boy. No, I've, I'm hoping to be, I don't know, we'll see. We'll give this cortisone shot a couple of good days to to work and back to running I in a few days, hopefully. Work. Yeah, I hope so, too. You're not going to run, though, are you, until you it starts feeling better? Of course not. Why would I do something silly like that? Mm, hmm. Yeah. I don't mm. know why I would think that you would do something <laughs> silly like that. I can't possibly imagine. <laughs> okay. Well. Anyway, so that's, yeah. that's what I've been up to. Okay. Well, very good. Mm -hmm. Good to hear. Um, I just got back from a three day, really nice trip. One leg the first day to Little Rock yesterday, Atlanta, Charleston for a nice long layover. And I uh, was mentioning before we started recording that it felt like I was sleeping in this morning because, uh, the, the pickup time, uh, downstairs in the lobby was seven o'clock. And for the kind of trips that I normally do, that is really kind of late. And, mm -hmm. uh, it was three legs today that almost killed me. Had to go from Charleston to Atlanta to Little Rock and back. But uh, anyway, a very nice trip and a very nice first officer to fly with. We both went to Auburn University, graduates of Auburn. In fact, he lives. War uh, Eagle? Yeah, War Eagle. He lives in Auburn, actually. He's, a, he's an Atlanta guy that uh, moved about a year ago, I think, to, uh, to Auburn. Anyway, um, getting off the last flight of the trip today in Atlanta. I'm walking off and I'm thinking, okay, well, get, get myself to that train and get home. Cause I got to do a show today. And this guy walks up to me and I don't recognize him. And he goes, Hey, captain Jeff. And I'm going, Hey, and I look at him thinking, well, he looks familiar to me, but I don't, I can't place him. And he goes, it's, it's, it's cool. It's a uh, pilot cool or William cool, captain cool, captain right. cool. And well, actually he told me, I don't know when he got the bid, but I think he's going to school upgrade training on it. I think he told me, sorry, if you're listening, William, um, if, 
if I get this wrong, but I think in, in a month or two or so, or like the summer, I don't know, uh, soon. I think that he was uh, just coming back from uh, Nebraska, visiting family, and uh, he said that he's going to be back. But yeah, I think it's next month. So he'll be uh, upgrading to uh, captain, so that's awesome. I think he said he's been with uh, his airline Ooh. now, his regional, for like two years and nine months. I apologized again to him that I wasn't able to make it to that uh, great party that uh, he had uh, uh conducted in his home in uh, the Baltimore area. And uh, he said it went great and that they hope to do it again. So we'll do awesome. our best to get there this next time that he does it. So yeah. anyway, it was good seeing Will. Okay. I should, I should also mention, um, had a similar uh, thing, but now I can't remember the gentleman's name. Just call I just him at, Bob. I want to say it was Phil, <laughs> but that also seems wrong. So I apologize to whoever you are. You know who you are. You know um, who you are. You know you. He will. Um, I was um, actually in line at my local uh, group, uh, gas station slash convenience store to buy um, Powerball tickets, which unfortunately did not win. And <sighs> someone goes, "Doctor Steph." I was like, "Hello." <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. listener of the show, fan of the show, he's from the. Um, I believe Raleigh Durham or now I'm messing all these details up. <laughs> you know who you are. You know where you live. He was here visiting family and uh, it was nice of him to to say hi and send him some feedback and then <laughs> yeah, send him some feedback and, and get then, it right. Because well, <laughs> we want her to much, feel really bad about this. <laughs> I, I do much. No, feel. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling bad. I promise. Um, I do much better with names when I see them written down. You mm. can tell me your name 5,000 times until you write it down the one time. Forget it. I suffer from the same thing. I'm, I'm horrible with people's names. Terrible. I recognize people, but it's, I don't remember, you know, their name. Like, hey, you, person I've been working with for four <laughs> years that I see but three they, times a week. But they always you, remember your name. Always. Uh, yeah. Always. And that really makes us feel yeah. bad. Don't I do that. <laughs> Wear a name tag just exactly. all the time. Just write your name on all of your shirts in big <laughs> black letter. It will help me. Yep. Because that's name tags that are little are really embarrassing because yeah, you've got to kind of squint at them. To, yeah. It's obvious like you're when staring. you're looking at them. Yeah, yeah you're like, and particularly, I... particularly ladies John. because they're always in the place you shouldn't really be staring. <laughs> yeah, I know. What, yeah, so ladies just wear a what hat. What are you looking at? Right up here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I usually there. do something fix, like, fix I, I usually do something like, What's that <laughs> point? <laughs> and then I thought, okay, they're looking the other way. Now I can look at their name. <laughs> I find it particularly annoying when the name badge is turned around the wrong way. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, obviously trying to like look at it. And I'm like, oh no, <laughs> it's turned around the wrong way. Hello there. Cool. William. <laughs> cool. William. <laughs> See, that kind of relates to my little story that I just told. See? Right, yes. Okay. Yes, yes. Thank you. I got you. I got you. Right. Oh, anyway. It was good seeing him. And let's see what else. I guess we should talk about meetups coming up. Mm. The first one that we should talk about is one that's coming up tomorrow. Now, Dana's not here with us today because he's on a trip and he's flying until like almost midnight tonight, I believe. But the good news is he gets into Portland, Maine uh, this evening. And tomorrow he's meeting with our main man, main man Micah. And they're going to meet at the Ocean Gardens in Gorham, Maine at 1230 p.m. for lunch. And if you want to 
get more information about that, you're just going to have to look it up on the web. <laughs> I don't know what the address is to the uh, Ocean Gardens, but I think that if you're up there in that area and you know something about Gorham, Maine and Ocean Gardens, you probably know where it is. So uh, that would be a, a great meetup to attend if you're up in the area. And I believe there's already somebody that has said that they're going to be up there um, in the chat room. Uh, who is it? Mark, I think, said that he is looking forward to uh, meeting Dana and Micah tomorrow. So, hey, if you're listening right now, live, <laughs> then uh, make sure that you uh, attend the meetup tomorrow. If you're listening to this on the audio-only version of the show or the video, uh, chances are it's way too late because I'm not going to get any of those things out until, I don't know, Sunday if I'm lucky. But hey, if you missed it, join it us on Slack. Yes. Also, it was wonderful. And hopefully we'll see you the next time. Oh, I was thinking, what was wonderful? Uh, Okay. The meetup. It was. It was a great meetup. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you should have seen Micah with that lobster. It was like, oh, it was great. I'm sure yeah. the pictures are on Twitter and the video. It's uh, the video. Yeah, don't miss it. Are you, are you two feeling all right? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm just getting a bit worried about the. Is there something in the air in the United States at the moment? I don't know. Yeah, it's pollen. All <laughs> oh, the pollen. Yeah. The, Does it uh, normally the, make you behave like this? Uh, maybe. I don't know. I don't, re I don't recall. <laughs> okay. The pine pollen, though, is finally out because I came back to my white car. I almost couldn't find it because it was yellow. <laughs> Even though it was under, like, covered parking, it still had a bunch of yellow No, that stuff it. gets everywhere. Yeah. And somehow the inside of my car gets coated with it, too. I don't That's understand. weird. Yeah. That's because you don't have any windows, doors, or a roof <laughs> That's on <true>. your car. <laughs> That's, That's understandable for Steph, actually. I know. <laughs> did, did, it, you, did you have the top Touché. on? And I'm talking about the car. Yeah. Okay. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. <sighs> okay. Well, I guess we need to talk about uh, the very important event occurring on Monday, May 13th in the beautiful city of Atlanta. It's, uh, it's our bon voyage, our farewell to Captain Nick. We'll never, ever see him again. Wait hey. a minute. <laughs> and he's so sad about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm sorry. It's his last trip, and it's in Atlanta. He's going to be here on the, coming in on Monday, May 13th, and we're going to have a big, big party. It's in the initial phase of the planning at this moment. That means we haven't done anything yet. Um, yes. just need a, very, a very menu. early. I am looking for planning. volunteers. In the we Atlanta have area, down a date. that want to be on the committee, the Captain Nick's retirement. Bang all all bash. we need is a place with lots of beer. Well, that's true. It's pretty easy and to plan. A bit of room. Yeah, we'll figure it out. But uh, put that on we, your calendar. And, I, and I have, I have flight yeah. numbers now. Okay, Ooh. what's the flight number, sir? Uh, on the thirteenth uh, out of London, it's the VS one zero three, and on the fifteenth out of Atlanta, it's the VS one zero four. 103, 104. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Get any easier than that. What time does that arrive, the uh, 103 from London? Well, it uh, depends. I no, well, what time say. is it scheduled? <laughs> <laughs> it depends when I get there. Plus or, plus or minus a few hours. Do you have hours. like a window? Uh, like, uh, of like a scheduled afternoon. afternoon, okay. In the afternoon. Yes. Okay. On, the, on the 13th, yes. correct? Okay. 
But uh, the clocks would have changed by then, so that might have altered by a little bit. All right. So if you're not already a member of Slack, please join up on our Slack team. And also keep a keen eye out on the airlinepilotguy.com slash calendar, the uh, APG community calendar. And then I'm hoping that we'll, more and more details will start appearing in both of those places as we get closer to. But, you know, it's not even April yet. So give us a break. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. We're way ahead of schedule on this yeah, one. I know. So, but I am looking forward to that. And I know that uh, Nick's airline is looking forward to it as well. get out of our hair (laughs) Ah, and uh, there is a right before that on the 12th of may um there is going to be a meetup an aviation podcasters meetup and and fans of aviation podcasting in the uk at duxford not duxworth but duxford and uh tell us about that captain nick what what do you know about that Anything? I know Duxford is a fantastic place for a meetup. I mean, there's, uh, it's it's one of the best museums, really, if you want to go and see aircraft. And so many of them are actually flying, um, or in a flying state. So they're not just museum pieces stuck up on a pole. Um, a lot of these aircraft are out, and they regularly have flying days when you'll see some of the most remarkable uh, aircraft actually getting airborne and doing their things. So. It, it's uh, it's got a wide variety. It's got some unique airplanes there, and I say unique only that there are so few of them left uh, in any kind of state in the world. So it, it is brilliant uh, and well worth a visit. Great place for a meetup. Oh, and I have to um, thank you, um, Nick, for that information. Um, I think that uh, the organizers of the meetup at Duxford are what Pilot Pip and Captain Al and Nev. Um, some of the uh, the, the the primaries for the PTUK or the the hosts plane of the safety. PT, plane safety. I'm sorry, plane PTUK safety, and PTUK. plane safety. Yeah. I mean, they're all over the place. Name a an aviation podcast in the UK, and they're probably going to be on it, right? Yeah, I think we think they're pirate radio, really. Okay, <laughs> they've um, infiltrated. Yeah. Yep. So if you yep. want more information about that, contact them. <laughs> um. And I think probably Adam Spinks uh, helping organize oh, okay. it. I don't know. Oh, like, that's good. Gonna be there. Then there's yeah. a good chance that this is going to be a successful meetup. Yes. <laughs> um, if Adam has anything to do with it. Um, also, I should mention, Liz just uh, sent me a, a little bit of information that uh, we want to make sure that everybody knows that when Nick is here on his last trip in Atlanta, his lovely wife, Jilly, will be with him as well to try to keep him, um, you know, I wish you hadn't said that. I was going to leave Jilly at Heathrow. Oh, never mind. Well, now you can't. We wanted to make sure that you did not <laughs> see your reasons to leave her. So if you want to meet this amazing woman, the woman that would put up with somebody like Captain Nick for all these years. For so many years. Yeah. Uh, you know, she'll only come if she gets an upper class seat. So I don't know. She may I don't not know, hun. I don't know if we're going to have it. Look, there's any premium. I'm not coming. Oh, okay. Or she may or may not be here then. (laughs) But there's a good chance that she will be. We'll start a GoFundMe for her. Yeah. Upper class. (laughs) Trust me, I've met her a a few times and she is just a a wonderful woman. And uh, you want to meet her too. So there you go. I can hear. All right. Anything else? Um, I think we got all the stuff in the 
meet up and catch up kind of phase of this thing. Um, can't think of anything else that we should talk about before we go to the coffee fund. What do you think? Let's oh, go for it. Me. All right, let's do it. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. All right, the coffee fund. It's your way to support the show financially, and you can do that by visiting airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. And there you'll learn how you can become part of the Coffee Fund Cadre or the Coffee Bar Club or whatever you want to call it. The people that like coffee and they like giving us money to, so we can buy coffee and beer and meetups and all kinds of stuff. Obviously, it's for helping us offset some of the cost of doing the show. And since the last episode, using the Classic Fund method, we have Vignir Orn. Gwonson, he, he needs to send us some feedback so I can figure out how to pronounce his name. Uh, Mazus Karim, Jason Kuntz, Glenn Billington, and Mark Adams. And we have, yay, we have some uh, new producers, uh, patrons at patreon.com. And they are Jay Mumford, Jordan Decker, and Mark Adams. If you want to join those folks, you really do. Head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee to learn about the classic method and the Patreon method. You'll be glad you did. And as we like to say, so will we. Stand by for news. about that. We don't know where the, where the problem is, but it has happened and we do the best to bring you as soon as possible to Dusseldorf. Sorry. A British Airways flight lands in Edinburgh instead of, is it Edinburgh? Instead of Edinburgh. 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 Instead of Dusseldorf by mistake. Now we should be we should be fair here, right? It wasn't really British Airways. No. And it certainly wasn't the seven forty seven, the A three twenty, or any of the other British Airways airplanes in British Airways colours that all the newspapers had that actually flew it either. It was a one four six. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. Take, they took off from London City Airport. Uh the destination, everybody that had tickets for the flight expected that they were going to be flying to Dusseldorf, um, Germany. And when the captain made the announcement, or somebody, or maybe it was the flight attendant, welcome to <laughs> Edinburgh, uh, they all thought it was a joke. It wasn't a joke. 
they actually yeah. flew to the wrong place. But we're actually in Edinburgh. Yeah. Whoops. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not even close. I mean, <laughs> how many miles? Dusseldorf is east. It's like ninety degrees out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you look at the map, and it's like. Yeah, not it's even. It's a nice right angle triangle that you can kind of make connecting right, between yeah. the cities. Looks like a shark fin, actually. Uh, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, um, oh, I like this. I like this quote, though. Yes. We flew the passengers on the flight with number BA3271 to Dusseldorf after the involuntary stopover in Edinburgh. <laughs> that's one way to phrase it <laughs> involuntary stopover. Yeah, doctor, doctor, I've got an involuntary stopover. Well, they probably yes. needed to get fuel. Right. Well, they would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, now, see, I've heard of lots of guys landing at the wrong airfield in in close proximity to the yes. one they were supposed to. Because they misidentify it. That happens, yeah. especially when there's similar runway layouts and things like that. Exactly. But th this is taking it beyond a joke. I I can only assume that these guys were actually told to fly there, and they were given a flight plan to fly there, but someone in operations or dispatch or whoever does it for their airline made a wee bit of a mistake and uh, got their destination wrong. So I, I, I don't think it was necessarily the crew's fault. I said, well, let's place blame at least on the actual company that did this. What was it? WDL. WDL. There's some uh, German um, outfit, aren't they? WDL aviation. Yes. Yeah. Certainly, so I, I don't know. I you know, I don't go ahead. I hope one of the PAs, which someone recorded on social media, and they sounded very German. Mm. Okay. So, and they're thinking, oh, those Germans and they're really quirky Dry humor. humor. Yeah. Mm. yeah. But, but uh, apparently they really thought they were supposed to be flying to Edinburgh. But so here, I don't understand. It's really not clear to me, at least in the article, the, the stuff that I've read, that it was a mistake made by the pilots or if it was a mistake made by the dispatchers or management people or whatever i mean you know did did the crew really think that they were supposed to fly to i i don't know it's just very confusing to me i think we need more information here. i don't know um, how they would fly there if they didn't think they were supposed to it's not well well exactly because i mean yeah. like very shortly after takeoff you're supposed to be over the north sea uh crossing over towards uh you know, so like Collins. when you walk um, up to the gate wouldn't there be like information on the at the gate, do you think they left from a gate? Well, I don't know. I don't know what the situation is. Maybe you know, I've never been to London City Airport. Maybe they were on a stand somewhere and they don't have a formal mm -hmm. gate house with the information about where you're happening. going. Well, yeah, I mean, for, uh, I've been to plenty of airports where we don't go through the passenger terminal to get to the aircraft, we go through a, a separate sort of part of the air, uh, air, uh, airfield and get bussed out to the aircraft. We don't see the passengers we just walk out of the airplane and pick up the paperwork uh so uh you know well in my world is like you know we before i even leave my house you know i i know what my trips are next month i know where i'm going to be flying so maybe obviously that's not the case with this outfit um and when i show up to work i know that i'm going to be flying my first day i'm going to fly to wichita and then i'm going to lay over because i have this on my on my iphone and all my uh, electronic devices and printing out my rotation or trip. I know that I'm supposed to go here. And then when I get to the airport again, maybe they don't have all these nice things to clue them in as I do, but the gate says you're, you're flying this flight to Wichita. What if they just loaded the passengers on the wrong plane? 
Yeah, like when they went when they got their clearance. Obviously, if they got their clearance, and the clearance was to Edinburgh, whether it be through their ACAR system or through um, the radio communications, did uh, did they they must have assumed that, or they must have the flight plan must have been filed for that flight segment. Yeah, I believe it was. I believe it was filed correctly for Edinburgh. Okay, uh, and the clearance was for Edinburgh. So, okay. Yeah. So that sounds to me like it that kind of lets the pilots off the hook. I, I would say so. I would say it's a bit of a company cock up myself. Okay. It's still kind of strange to me. Oh, oh and they yeah, do very strange. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not. It, I'm not sure that this was. It had the flight number for British Airways, but was it more of a charter operation too? I thought I saw that some. Well, I think it's well. it's it's like one of those um, like we have regional airlines that do flying for the majors and they, you know, they use our, our call sign and their, well, not their call sign, our call sign, but they use our flight numbers and that kind of thing. Um, I don't know if that's the, the same kind of a arrangement that they have or not. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I, I, di- I didn't know that uh, BA used this. I suspect it might've been a short term um, contract just to fill in some gaps they had in their, uh, in their fleet, uh, so perhaps it's just the odd flight they fly from, and the, perhaps the communications between BA and WDL aren't very clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, now a good point is made by Simon Browning, a BBC transport producer, uh, in uh, one of the articles that we have here, and when they were talking about the analysis of this, why wasn't a passenger announcement made before takeoff saying, "quote." The weather in Edinburgh is fine, and the flight will last one hour. If it had, they could have saved a lot of complication. And I tend to agree with that. I'm sure they do, but uh, how many passengers actually listen to those BAs we make? Maybe one in ten. <laughs> yeah. I do. If I was on the flight, I might have noticed. Somebody, yep. somebody would have, I wasn't have, asleep though. already. Yeah. I think one person would have. At least one. I'm just thinking of it. Well, I know this is not nearly the same situation at all. I'm just thinking of how they used to... Um, Back when I lived in Greenville, North Carolina. So there is a Greenville, North Carolina and a Greenville, South Carolina that when you are leaving Charlotte are basically 180 degrees in opposite directions from one another. (laughs) But anyway, they would they would load both of these flights at roughly the same time through the same door at adjacent gates, not through a jet bridge. And there would always be someone on the wrong plane. Well, Every obviously, time. you're going to have that happen. That's Never just failed. stupid for them to put the flights <laughs> right next to each other. But I'm just thinking of that, you know, yeah. how easy that was for people to get on the wrong plane. Yeah, that could be. Plane. Yeah. Um, and then they wouldn't notice because, and they would actually have to say, is everyone here going to North Carolina or is everyone here going to South Carolina? And some people wouldn't know. Yeah, I don't know. That was the real problem. I, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'm going say. to Greenville. Is that where this plane is going? Yes. But well, they don't know. If, if, I don't know. <laughs> if I was on it, I wouldn't know. Yeah. So, a lot well, of people yeah. didn't know. But yeah. people that live in this area of, of the country should, should. know. Well, yeah, <laughs> but there are a lot that don't. That's another funny story. Well, was that a different state? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm then, going to the one in Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The one in Carolina. Which one? Which Carolina? Yeah, South yes. or North Carolina. Uh-huh. I don't know. Yeah, it gets confusing. Um, so I can see how stuff like that happens. Yeah. But this seems, uh, you know, if you don't know which country you're going to, you've got a bit of a small problem. Um, although today I talked to a lady who didn't know where Japan was. So there you have it. <laughs> wow. I wish I was making that up. I'm not. Japan. Where is that anyway? 
well, the best all I can say is that from a, from the point of view of someone in Britain, it was light news and it was funny and it was vaguely pleasant to read about it and watch it on the television, <laughs> considering what else is going on. That's true. Oh yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. So I was quite pleased they did that. Thank well, you very much indeed. I have another story that's even going to make you happier. Then this oh, is okay. <laughs> a naked Russian man tries to board a plane. Claiming to be more aerodynamic. Well, he weighs less. I mean, that's good for weight and balance. Yeah, I mean, right? those, that clothing can add a lot He's of resistance. Not entirely wrong. No. Not entirely wrong. No. Was he planning on sitting on the wing <laughs> also, <laughs> like for his aerodynamic uh, configuration? A naked man attempted to board a plane at Moscow's Damodedova. airport while shouting that clothes make him less aerodynamic. The man passed through the Ural, Ural Airlines Flights Registration. Is that right? How do you pronounce that? Ural. Ural. Yes. Uh, before oh, our, our pal, your pal, our al, Ural, uh, before suddenly stripping off his clothes and running stark naked onto the jet bridge, eyewitnesses said. He shouted that he was naked because clothing impairs the aerodynamics of the body. He flies with more agility when undressed. You know, you, you got to say, you know, he's got a point. Well, if it was an open cockpit, yeah, I agree with him. But <laughs> mm. I'm not going to work out how that happens when you're in the cabin. I don't know. <laughs> that, that's where he was a little confused, a little unsure of how the whole flying in an airplane yeah. thing works. I, I'm looking at the picture of him. Uh, luckily, the appropriate parts are blotted out. But yes. what has he got on his knees? <laughs> Looks he like he was wrestled to the ground at some point. <laughs> he's been crawling on his knees, apparently. <laughs> You know, they don't look in good condition. No, <laughs> they don't, no. they? Well banged up. Well, no. Wasn't there someone wasn't there someone running around naked in um Chicago recently too on the, yeah, on the ramp? Across the ramp. Yes, yeah. I, I yeah. saw that. Like we're it's like an epidemic. I don't know. <laughs> People just want to be free, Steph. Come That's on. Right. I, I know. It's fine. Anyway, the a video has been released of the man after police detention, handcuffed on the floor and still very naked and with very bruised up knees. Uh, eyewitnesses added that the man did not seem drunk, but he may be in need of a refresher on the physics of airplane travel. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah. yeah. How do I begin this this particular one? You know, you can't live with them and you can't kill them. Yeah. Oh, maybe I shouldn't say that. Um, well, some people do, but hopefully. <laughs> yeah. This man, um, actually, he didn't succeed in killing his wife. He tried to. He tried to kill his wife with a plane, a very nice airplane, by the way, a King Air in Botswana. And uh, he's a South African. He took his life by flying a twin engine, uh, as I said, a, um, uh, what did I just call it? A um, King, Air. King Air, thank you, uh, into a building in Botswana in an attempt to kill his wife. And about 50 people narrowly escaped death on Saturday morning at the Matsing Airfield, M-A-T-S-I-E-N-G, Airfield, a few kilometers north of the country's capital of Gaborone. Is that the way you yeah, pronounce that? Pretty good. Um, it is understood that the man had a physical altercation with his wife at a baby shower held at the airstrip before he was chased away. Apparently he wasn't invited to this. He allegedly stole the aircraft and crashed it into the party venue. He uh, started work at the Botswana-based 
Kalahari Air Services in October last year. In a statement, the Matsing Flying Club said an uninvited guest at a party who was identified as this man got into a domestic dispute before leaving. And then minutes later, a King Air twin-engine aircraft allegedly stolen by him started making several low passes. By the way, I have a video here. Did you guys get a chance to look at the video? Yeah, no, they're pretty low passes. Yeah. I did like, not. Um, very, I'm looking at a still shot of it. So. Very yeah. low. And in fact, the guy that was uh, filming this video <laughs> had a, an opinion about this at the very end. <laughs> so just be <laughs> advised that uh, there's some, some explicit language. Um, apparently, he must have known this guy. Uh, anyway, uh, a man, let's see. A man said that the pilot called his friend who was at the venue. He phoned his one mate on the ground there who was still at the party and he wanted to know where his wife was. The guy that he called started shouting so that everybody could run away. And then the man in the stolen airplane flew into the clubhouse and uh, he was the only casualty uh, while the clubhouse control tower and about 13 vehicles were destroyed. Yeah, pretty big fire from one of the other videos I saw. So to only to be expected, I expect. Uh, yeah, a tragic way to lose, to lose your life. And, uh, you know, uh, I yeah. guess he was uh, just not really himself that day. No, apparently under the influence. And uh, some people don't do well when they've had too much to drink and, and are on, in an emotional situation. And uh, that's just, you know. I'm glad that nobody else was, was hurt. Oh, but. Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's the silver yeah. lining here, I guess. All right. And finally, this is a sad story. Uh, the Icelandic low cost airline. Wow. Let me see here. Wow. Airline airlines, um, basically stopped, um, their business. They ceased operations today, I believe, and canceled all their flights. Uh, they've stranded thousands of passengers. Uh, the carrier, which had been in funding talks with investors, flew from London, Stansted, and Gatwick in the UK. It said some airlines may offer flights at a reduced rate, so-called rescue fares, and it would publish information on those when it becomes available. Um, he said passengers should not spend a fortune on alternative flights unless you were in a real hurry. Uh, WOW's website suggests a range of possible methods of redress as far as uh, getting some compensation for this and we'll include this article in the show notes um, a lot of speculation as to why the airline failed um, apparently they had a somewhat solid business model and then they started maybe diverging from their business model some people speculate by adding you know they started off with narrow bodies and then they started adding the a330 jet to their fleet mix and then all of a sudden instead of being a, a budget carrier a low cost uh, type of carrier they started adding premium uh, things to their uh, offer offerings and uh, somebody or some several people said that this might be why things just kind of started spiraling downward uh, Nick do you have any ideas no, I didn't even know it was going to happen, and uh, this is pretty much uh, news to me because I've really been keeping track of them uh, recently. So, yeah, incredibly sad, of course. But, um, sad for the crews who've lost their jobs. That's always a nightmare, and we have seem to have lost a bunch of airlines recently. You know, we went through a period of, of great stability, but now Monarch and Air Berlin uh, uh, two years ago, 
now we're about uh, six went down uh, last year, uh, mainly pretty small ones. Uh, but uh, this is the third uh, this year. So Germania, Fly, BMI, and now Wow have gone down. And it's only uh, March, for heaven's sake. So, mm-hmm. wow, you know, this is a, this is quite a change to uh, the way operators, um, you know, uh, need to be looked at. Uh, and all I can say is that if you are going to fly out of the UK, you need to uh, pick a... Uh, uh, an airline that is at all protected. So all the UK carriers are required to um, pay money towards the Civil Aviation Authority authorities at all protection. And I'm, the only reason I'm making a point of this is because, of course, their their main airports are were in the UK and they carry a lot of British passengers. But unless the uh, airline that you're flying with is at all protection, you'll have to find your own way home. Um, whereas if you're an adult airline, then uh, you know you will be flown back at uh, the UK's uh, expense. That the Civil Aviation Authority will organise rescue flights, and it won't cost you. Very good. Yeah, yeah I knew they'd been in um, financial negotiations with different invest- investors for a while. I think over the past year, even or something like that, uh, six months or so. But it sounds like none of those worked out, sadly. No, exactly. Now, of course, uh, we, we're looking at uh, uh, other airlines that might be having problems as well, and, and mm-hmm. Norwegian seems to be, I think it's Norwegian. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yep. Yeah, be uh, struggling a little as well, uh, you know. So either we've got just too many uh, airlines try, trying to cover too few routes, or the competition uh, is really tough right now. I don't know what it is. But uh, might be a combination combination of the two. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, sadly, another one bites the dust. Yep. All right. Well, let's move on then to our feedback segment. Captain, incoming message. All right. Let's start it with item number one from Lou. Dear APG crew, regarding the GA airplane crash at Mansfield Municipal Airport in Mansfield, Mass., you covered in APG 364, I figured it may be worth giving some feedback as I happen to currently be a private pilot student training at said airport. While the airplane in question came from a nearby flight school, not the one that I attend, it still hit me and the rest of the community at 1B9 Mansfield Airport's ID pretty hard. While I wasn't a witness to the crash, as I was home, sick with the flu at the time, my flight school did have a special seminar for all its students on Saturday, March 8th, about the crash. They went over the preliminary NTSB report, which I'll link to later in this email, and security camera footage from the airport and their own eyewitness observations to give some idea of what they think may have gone wrong and to teach the students on how to not make the same mistakes. First, a little background on the airport. Mansfield Airport is a non-towered airport with two intersecting runways. Runway 1432 is a paved asphalt runway, 3,503 feet long, 75 feet wide. And runway 422 is a grass runway with dimensions of 2,200 by 100. The plane that crashed was operated by a flight school at nearby Norwood Memorial Airport, which is a towered GA airport. 
My own guesswork here, but I assume that the student and instructor came to Mansfield to do some non-towered training of some sort. The weather that day was VFR, and the student, according to the NTSB report, had 7.6 hours of dual flight time. The plane was a Cessna 172. The airplane was attempting to make a landing on runway 32, which, as I stated earlier, is 3,503 feet long. The pilot, however, came in high and fast, was floating down the runway in ground effect, and didn't do a landing flare until he was about 2,800 feet down the runway. He then seems to have tried to initiate a go-around, but for some unknown, unknown reason, the pilot then climbed while performing a steep right turn, despite the airport having a left turn pattern. He then fell into a spiral and crashed nose-first near the grass runway. According to my instructors, the pilot apparently bounced several times coming down the runway before attempting the go-around near the end. It also appeared as if there had been a stall leading to a spin on the attempted go-around due to excessive nose-up trim. The pilot then did that bizarre right turn, and the instructors speculated that for some reason someone in the plane decided to attempt a landing on the grass strip instead of completing the go-around. Witnesses and security video also heard the engine dying down just before the spin, as if the throttle or mixture were pulled. Again, my instructors speculated that perhaps someone was just trying to get the plane down as soon as possible and pulled back on the power for some reason. They think that perhaps the pilot and or instructor panicked prior to the failed grass runway landing attempt. Anyway, their general thought that this was an attempt, an attempt to land on the grass strip that was the final link. Wait. Anyway, their general thought was that it was attempting to land on the grass strip that was the final link in all the mistakes that resulted in the crash. Anyway. This was just a summary of what was covered during the special seminar and the NTSB report, but I figured it was worth sharing more details on what went wrong with fellow members of the APG community. I lurk in the Slack room as well, so I can be reached there if anyone else has any other questions. And again, this is Lou from Massachusetts, and he has a link to the NTSB preliminary report and information from airnav.com about the Mansfield Municipal Airport. And there you have it. A sad situation. Yeah, sad indeed. I mean, it's kind of, you know, like I said, it's kind of strange why they weren't able to just initiate the go around. Um, I don't know if they have, do you say there were trees at the end of the runway there or anything? That would be, a, doesn't sound like it. I don't know. Um, that would be a obstacle that they might not be able to clear if they had attempted to land so far down the runway and then tried to initiate a go around. But yeah, I don't know. Isn't you know, these kind of things, you know, the stall Stalls spin good. kind of accidents are pretty common, aren't they? I mean, not, um, I'm not common, but not I mean, common, but in terms of things that are fatal, fatal um, accidents, they seem yeah. to be pretty high yeah. up there on mm -hmm. the list. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Either on usually. Um, yeah. I was going to say usually on. Um, Seems like it happens more often when people are doing pattern work or when they're, we've seen a few where people have been on approach and something has thrown them off, such as changing runways last minute or something like that, or traffic that they weren't expecting and um, airspeed gets away from them and they have a stall spin issue. Was the last show we talked about the Cirrus that crashed up in Buttonville Airport in Canada? Uh, you I think may that, uh, have, I don't know. I don't think oh. you were uh, on that yeah, show, Steph. It was the last show. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, another case of airspeed very, very low and attempting to make the airplane fly. And, uh, you know, I don't know all the numbers on a Cirrus, but they seemed the speeds that they were talking about seemed really low for that airplane. Mm -hmm. Um, by the way, speaking of the Cirrus, um, mm -hmm. you know, we talked about the, 
the the cruise ship um, rendezvous. Uh, the guys that uh, yeah used the the what is it called again? The uh, C C the caps caps C A P S system. Parachute system. Yes. Um, and uh, apparently uh, Max Trescott on his great podcast was able to contact uh, one or both of the pilots. I'm not sure. I haven't listened to that episode yet. Uh, but he was able to interview um, the uh, one of them for his show. Yeah, I'm blanking on the guy's name right now, but just coincidentally, um, you know, aviation is a small world, and he popped up in a um, <laughs> just a, a group that I'm a part of on one of the social media uh, sites this morning, just asking a question about something completely unrelated. And I would have never re- recognized the name and put two and two together because it had nothing to do with that incident, except someone asked him about it. So it was like Reagan, Reagan, something or other, like a German. Uh, sounding yeah. Name. Um, I forget exactly. Yeah, I forget too. But. As long as we're plugging podcasts um, and we always talk about how great the, uh, the airplane geeks podcast is. Oh yes. They uh, had somebody that everybody here in the APG community knows uh, as the good looking captain, Jeff. I don't know why they call him that. Uh, Colonel Jeff. And uh, he is a former F-15 pilot and a current 737 captain and they had him on their show the most recent one that just came out yesterday and it is fantastic so if you want to hear uh, jeff's viewpoint on the mcas and what he thinks may have happened and uh, more information about that uh, you can't go wrong by listening to the latest episode of the airplane geeks really well thought out great episode highly recommend so, A plus plus. All right, uh, item number two, Devin. Ahoy, crew. I'm an av geek from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. A couple of years ago, while working on the ramp at Edmonton International Airport, I decided I wanted to fly airplanes. And after getting my PPL, I had to take a break for a few years. What with flying being so expensive, I discovered your show about a year ago, and it made me decide to buckle down and go for it. And as a 26-year-old, I have nothing but time. Unfortunately, I was unable to get a Category 1 medical because of an eye issue. Aviation dreams not crushed, though. If I can't fly them, I'll keep them flying. We'll start an aircraft maintenance engineering course in Calgary shortly. Another of many stories of your show pushing someone to pursue a job in a field we all love. Keep up the good work, and congratulations to Captain Nick on his upcoming retirement. Oh, that's very kind. Thanks so much. And uh, yeah, yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, uh, thank you, Devin. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's brilliant. Uh, those engineers, uh, you know, we, we bump into them every day when we go flying. They're they're fixing things, chatting to us, talking us over the uh, tech logs and the snags and the aircraft. We always interact with them very well. And I think if you can't be a pilot, that's one of the great occupations to have uh, in aviation. And I think that maybe Steph will mention this as well, but it may be worth your time to maybe get a second opinion about whatever, you know, he didn't talk about what his issue was with his medical certificate because of an eye issue. But we've talked about it before on this show where people thought that there was no way that they could be a pilot because of some issue like colorblindness or whatever it is. And come to find out that uh, there are sometimes other ways to get where you want to go. Um, Sometimes there are, um, the way he wrote it, it makes it, makes it sound a little bit to me like he 
did go through the correct oh, okay. process to try and get the um, class one medical or okay. category one, whatever they call it in. But yeah. if, it, you know, not a reason not to reevaluate, reassess, things change as time goes on. Um, but I like his attitude a lot. Yeah, me so too. Great, great attitude, Devin. Just, you know, you want to be in the field, you want to be working around aircraft and work with them and keep them flying. And we need more folks like you to do that for us. Absolutely. Yeah. That's awesome, really. Thank you for sharing that with us, Devin. And I hope that we continue to be a um, encouragement for you. And uh, I hope that you can continue to participate by sending us feedback and letting us know how everything goes with your with your journey to become an aircraft maintenance engineer. Solomon writes in, Solomon here, love your podcast. It made the commute to and from the North Bay area bearable. I do have two questions for you. How does Southwest keep their prices so low? And how do you feel about their boarding process? My dad works for a major airline, so I've only flown with them and Lufthansa when I traveled in and around Europe. Again, love your podcast. Keep up the good work. Okay, so we have somebody here, a uh, one of our co-hosts that uh, likes to fly Southwest Airlines. And mm-hmm. um, Steph, how is it that they keep their prices so low? I don't know that they keep them so low anymore, to be perfectly honest. Um, everyone has been very competitive with their pricing recently. Um, certainly in the past, a lot of it came down to, I think, some of their fuel hedging, um, the fact that they were flying um, the same aircraft type. Um, They're able to keep costs low just with common training and common aircraft type and you know, mechanics only working on one type of aircraft. Um, some of their, um, you know, when they first came onto the scene with the way they set up their their routes, not being hub and spoke, being point to point, I think helped them a little bit in that regard as well. And I think a little bit of what you mentioned with the boarding process initially was quite helpful because they used to be able to turn around an aircraft very quickly. I still think they turn around aircraft very quickly. Um, it's not quite the 15 minutes they used to claim that they could do. Um, but you alluded to it, the fact that they don't have assigned seating on their aircraft, uh, which is a little different than most aircraft or most um, uh, airlines. I'm trying to think if anyone else does know assigned didn't, seating. Didn't Ryanair do that as well? But I guess they don't uh, do I, that I anymore. Don't, I don't know. Yeah. Well, Southwest yeah, still don't that's have. That's right, Jeff. Yeah. They, they used to be just a bun fight. Go and grab any seat you want. But I think they do assign now. Yeah. So Southwest do not assign seating, which I actually kind of like. Um, if you can guarantee that you are able to check yourself in reasonably early for the flight. So, you know, as soon as that 24 hours before your flight clicks around and you can jump on and, and sign yourself in, uh, check in for the flight, you usually have a reasonably low boarding number. So they board by numbers and groups and they'll assign you to a group A, B, or C, and then a number one to, um, one to 60, I think within each group. And whatever number you have, that's what order you get on the plane in. So if you're up in one of the first few numbers, if you've paid attention to what was going on, then you can pick whatever seat you would like that happens to be open. If you want a window, great. If you want an aisle, great. If you got a bunch of people who need to sit together, great. Um, if you weren't so quick on it, then you're kind of out of luck. Um, you're probably looking at a middle seat, probably somewhere down the back. And I will say though, that, um, for the most part, I've seen where folks with, you know, small children or, uh, are trying to sit together and they are the last ones getting on the aircraft for one reason or another, maybe it was a tight connection and they couldn't get there in time for their assigned boarding place. 
Um, people are generally reasonably willing to switch seats to accommodate people. I've never seen it not work out well if that happens. I think what so. happens at the, uh, the gate when they open up the gate? How do they stop people from jumping the queue? So everyone lines, everyone knows what their number tasers. is. Yeah, tasers. <laughs> I was going to ask if they're bull whips, but yeah. <laughs> nope. would be they, have, they have one group line up at a time. They've got these um, stanchions or stands kind of marked out along where they're going to have people line up to get on the flight. So they can line up 60 people at a time to get on the plane and reasonably orderly. Um, and they'll take the first group of 30 from one side of the line and then the second group of 30 from the other side of the line. And once they've mostly found their seats, then they'll get the next group uh so do it a b and c so when you're lining up do you have to ask everyone what their numbers are to sit no no yeah, way people generally well they generally do because they have they have it blocked off by groups of five so you can kind of figure out if you're a number you know eight that's going to be somewhere between five and ten so it says one to five you know ten to fifteen or five to ten ten to fifteen you can figure it out oh okay amazing well you know it, it works pretty pretty well and most people know, most people who fly Southwest know what the process is. That's what I was going to say. If you're new to it, then I'm sure there are plenty oh, of people Oh, the people who are, are new are, are confused usually. Yeah. But there are no shortage of people who are willing to tell them exactly where to stand in line. Right. <laughs> exactly where to go. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, you're behind, you're behind me. Yeah. No, you're, you're in the last. next group. You don't need to be standing here. Kids, go back and sit down. I mean, the whole airplane boarding process is a... a science and voodoo. <laughs> it's like mm -hmm. airlines have been experimenting with this for many many years and uh, we'll continue to do so um i think the reason why southwest is a great airline because they the just the product that they offer is is really really a good product and yeah. it's different than everybody else um but they're successful with it and i think sometimes the confusion comes in when they're referred to as a low-cost airline i think what technically yeah because their cost their costs their costs are, are low, low. Because as Steph said, they all the pilots fly one airplane type, not a whole fleet of differing air, airplane types. Really cuts down on the training costs, and it's just. Um, but I think people when they've they hear good, they've had good management. They've had yeah. good. I mean, they've really and you know an element of luck too in terms of what they were able to do with keeping fuel costs low yeah. or years as, where it was as not you mentioned, so low the, for other. The hedging was a mm -hmm. was a brilliant thing that uh, they no longer benefit from. Uh, the fuel hedging. But um, the other thing I wanted to say is that low cost for the airline doesn't necessarily equal low ticket prices. And they do another very clever thing. They are not, when you go to look for a flight from mm -hmm. Atlanta to Chicago, you're not going to be able to compare their prices directly on the same site like Kayak or Right. Travelocity or whatever they don't—they're not listed on those sites. You have to go directly to the Southwest site, and I think that is to their advantage because now you're people old. don't want to look around a whole bunch of different places. Right. They just go, "Oh, that looks fine." They it's do like have that. sales every now and then that are just amazing. If you can, cheap. if you can, if you can book early, if you know where you're going, if it's not a last-minute thing, it's mm -hmm. typically still very inexpensive. Um, I can say the same thing for the other, you know, quote unquote, legacy or major carriers in the U.S. Now, though, if you're if you know your travel plans pretty far in advance, they're going to be right there with what Southwest is offering for the most part. Um, I think Southwest still does have better sales when it's a true sale. Mm -hmm. um, I never seem to benefit from the routes that they have sales on, though. It's always like <laughs> somewhere yeah. obscure. Well, you somewhere always kind of go at the last minute. <laughs> I know, and I never book far enough in advance. Although I did yeah. just book a flight with them um, the other day for June. So that was pretty oh, far in wow. advance. And it was very reasonable. It was 
uh, round trip to Chicago for, uh, God, I think it was under $300. Might have been 250 Now, my not- only experience with Southwest Airlines was that when I was trying to travel on my airline, non-revenue, back from San Francisco to Atlanta after we had a uh, Hawaii vacation with my family, and one of the flights had a mechanical issue. And because we were standby passengers, that's <laughs> just about the worst thing that can happen when they cancel a flight. And so we kind of panicked and I went over and purchased five tickets, $500 each to go from San Francisco to Los Angeles. Ouch. So in that case, they were not a low cost airline for us. (laughs) Uh, Now, in hindsight, I learned all about the Zed fares and uh, how that process works. And uh, I spent an incredible amount of money, (laughs) more than I should have. Uh, (laughs) But uh, again, it was like under that time pressure. And we thought we need to get to Los Angeles so we can continue our trip back to Atlanta on my airline. And uh, yeah, it just... uh, we should have taken more time and, and I should have done a little bit more research on how to use a Z fare with another airline. And, uh, and it was an expensive mistake, but we still had a great vacation and it was worth it. But, uh, the experience on Southwest from San Francisco to Los Angeles was wonderful. Great airline. Mm-hmm. Loved it. They like to, you know, not that other airlines don't joke around, but they, they tend to joke around a little bit. My favorite most recently was, um, most people will know that they just started flying to Hawaii. Um, there was a flight that landed the other day where the flight attendant got on after landing and said, we would really like to be the first to welcome you to Hawaii. Unfortunately, we can't do that. Welcome to Chicago Midway, where the temperature is 33 degrees Fahrenheit, <laughs> which I thought was clever. And maybe perhaps, I think that happened after the uh, uh, the flight that went to Edinburgh instead oh. of Dusseldorf, oh, too. So afraid. maybe there was a slight, uh, <laughs> slight jab you. there. <laughs> I'm not sure. Love it. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, hopefully that uh, helped Solomon. And we should continue with Zach. Zach is from Michigan, and Zach sent us some audio feedback. Let's listen to it. Hey there, APG guys. My name is Zach. I'm from Kalamazoo, Michigan. I hope you all had a fantastic St. Patty's Day. I just wanted to reach out and do my first audio feedback, and... uh wanted to go back a few podcasts ago to a fellow that uh, sent in a feedback. He's currently working full-time and has kids and is married and uh, decided to come out, as you put it, and, you know, go and, and say that he wants to become an airline pilot. Uh, been in kind of a similar boat. I'm working on my instrument, but I'm working full-time and I'm married too, and uh, it's kind of an inspiration to hear other people making that decision to pursue their passion. And uh, I like to hear other feedback from from people to you know to see what it is they're doing to make that dream happen. So it's cool to hear uh, from other people that are working up through the path of becoming a, a to coming into a career in aviation. Anyway. I had a question about uh, working on a large airliner or a a large jet. Uh, I know that on my 172, when I'm taxiing, I use the rudders to, you know, steer the the plane, and I can use the brakes on the top of the rudder to stop or assist a turn in a tight turn situation. But 
when you're steering an airliner, say a 737 or even something as big as a A380, do the large jets steer in the same way or do they use a different system for taxiing? I remember when I was a kid, I got the uh, classic cockpit tour. I couldn't tell you what, what kind of plane it was, but I know that there was a little wheel on the left side for steering that aircraft. Maybe it was an MD, but is are the airliners, are they all the same in how they steer or do they use the same rudder system or, or rudder pedal to steer or, or how, how does that work? And what's it like steering one of those large planes? I know that in my 172, uh, even though I can see the wing right out to the left and the right, I still feel like I'm going to hit everything. Uh, that's one of my weird little fears is clipping something with my wing. What's it like taxiing a giant jet? Do you feel like you're going to hit everything or have you gotten used to it where you know if you stay on the right line, you're good? So just wanted to hear about that, and I uh, appreciate it, and I hope you all have a great week. Thanks. Great questions. Um, you want to you want to tackle this one, Nick? I have a I have something to say about this, but uh, well, you yeah, start. sure. Uh, and uh, yeah, we're a kind of mixture of the two, really. Uh, you taxi uh, one fifty uh, using, I guess, the toe brakes on the rudder, and of course, the rudder will have an effect because you got the prop. Both together will help you steer. The um, on an airliner, we use the tiller, as it's referred to, the little wheel. And uh, on an Airbus, it's uh, it's a steer by wire. So uh, that tiller isn't actually physically connected to anything other than a computer. And uh, it's actually one of the hardest things to get used to uh, when you're um, operating uh, an Airbus, certainly the big ones, um, is the fact that you can turn that tiller um, just as quickly as you want, but it takes a it's much slower um, period of time for the nose wheel to actually turn. And you kind of have to know where you want that nose wheel to move to. Because if you uh, overturn the tiller, by the time the nose wheel is eventually cranked around by the hydraulics to point in the direction you want to go, uh, if it's too much or too little and you make a sharp movement with the tiller, the airplane will lurch about quite badly. So to taxi smoothly takes um, a bit of practice. Uh, but that's how it's done. It's done on the tiller. Of course, um, if you let go of the tiller, as long as you're on a reasonably straight leg, you can use the rudders to steer the aircraft as well because the nose wheel steering is also connected to the rudders, albeit you only get like five or six degrees movement. So it's enough to keep you tracking on the center line of a, of a straight taxiway. So if you don't want to have to hang on the tiller, you want to move your hand off and do something else, so you can use the rudder pedals to keep straight. And certainly during the takeoff run, we don't hold the tiller to keep the aircraft straight on the initial part of the uh, takeoff. We uh, let go of that, and the rudders that we move initially – there's no aerodynamic effect coming from the back of the airplane from the rudder. It's all happening from the nose wheel. But as we transition through our speed range and we uh, in the Airbus get to around about 100 knots, the nose wheel steering effect is faded out 
because by that time, you've got enough aerodynamic effect from the rudder to keep the airplane straight. And those that, well, certainly on the Airbuses I've flown, that's beautifully seamless. You wouldn't even know that you uh, had moved from nose wheel steering to aerodynamic steering now through the rudder. Uh, and that's effectively how it works. It's uh, You're just driving a very big tricycle uh, around. The hardest thing, um, particularly on a big airplane, to get used to is knowing where your wheels are because, of course, you have to use oversteering, as we term it, particularly on the 600. The nose wheel is so far behind you and the main gear are way behind you that uh, you have to try and imagine in your head where everything is as you turn. And often on a sharp turn, you're putting yourself in the cockpit way over on the grass, uh, secure in the knowledge that the nose wheel way behind you is tracking down the taxiway. Now, to help us, we have cameras uh, on the 600 to uh, let you see where the undercarriage is so that you don't accidentally drag the main gear uh, off and crush some taxi lights or worse still send the nose wheel off onto the grass and sink in that would be pretty embarrassing but um the 330 isn't that much uh, smaller and that doesn't have cameras so you just have to learn how to do it for yourself but of course the problem is if you don't oversteer and keep your nose wheel um in the correct position on the taxiway uh, what happens is you drag the main gear uh, through a sharp corner and they will undercut and they will come off the taxiway onto the grass and you'll start smacking things and crushing things and that's not good, people. <laughs> not recommended. Appreciate no. <laughs> I'm probably perhaps a little simpler in uh, the Mad Dog, Jeff. Well, uh, first of all, every large transport aircraft that I've flown, the C-141 in the Air Force and the TriStar, Lockheed TriStar, the Boeing 727, and now the Mad Dog, MD-88, MD-90, uh, all have steering tillers or steering wheels uh, that are not fly-by-wire. or uh, they're, not, they're actually directly connected with cables and such to the, uh, there I go again with and such, uh, cables to the nose wheel steering uh, system, the hydraulic controls of the nose wheel steering. And as Captain Nick mentioned, um, without using the steering wheel or steering tiller or whatever you want to call it, uh, the range of steering available through your rudder pedals uh, when you're at slower speeds is about six to seven degrees, depending on the aircraft manufacturer and the aircraft model. And not only is it uh, a way for us to steer the airplane when we're rel going relatively straight, uh, it's also when the first officer in every single airplane, air, air transport or category, let's see, transport category airplane that I've flown, um, only the captain had the steering tiller on uh, on the left side, on the captain's side. Now, I know that the Airbus has it on both sides, and I think that even some of the newer generation Boeings as well. I think the 777, I'm not sure about the uh, 787 series, but they have it on both both sides. Um, but um, all the airplanes that I've flown, it's always the captain's job to do the steering on the ground. And again, um, when you're in one of these airplanes and the first officer is flying and he's landing and he wants to make a turn off of the 
uh, high speed or whatever, there's usually enough authority there uh, that they can do that before relinquishing control and letting the captain take over. So, uh, and the case of the steering tiller in all the airplanes that I've flown, it's very sensitive and you have to be very careful. You can't just just activate it at whatever rate that you want and wait for some kind of a lag as captain nick just mentioned i mean i can i can send flight attendants into people's laps or onto the floor very easily if i'm not very careful about the way that i'm steering or activating the uh the tiller uh again that's all connected to the hydraulic system that is that is controlling the position of the nose wheel and as captain Nick mentioned, as you're rolling down the runway, you don't use the steering tiller. That's overkill. You just use your rudder pedal steering. And then at a certain point, the rudder has enough air going past it. And that becomes the primary means of keeping uh, the run, the uh, airplane going straight down the runway. It's a bit of an art, wouldn't you say, Jeff, uh, learning to taxi smoothly. And uh, the girls certainly know uh, at times whether it's the captain or the first officer. Now, most first officers I fly with, pretty experienced guys, they can taxi as well as I can, or as well as anyone can. But uh, a new guy uh, is going to lurch around a bit. And the girls are trying to do their demos, particularly Mm -hmm. if they've got a manual demo. And it can be really (laughs) hard for them when they're standing up in the middle of the cabin and you're quite right. Some of them will end up in a passenger's lap. Yeah. You have to be <laughs> mindful of that when you're taxiing the airplane around, trying yeah, to be yeah. as nice and smooth as you can. Uh, the other thing I was going to say, you mentioned the, uh, the oversteer on the big jets that you're flying. Well, believe it or not, the mad dog, if you look at that airplane, you look where the nose wheel is and where the main gear is because it's been stretched. You know, it's a DC nine that's been stretched and stretched and stretched over time. Uh, is quite long. The wheelbase, the distance from the nose wheel to the main landing gear, is one of the longest wheelbases out there on any airplane. Wow. And we have to pretend that we're flying a 747 or an A340 when we're taxiing around and we have to make some nice tight turns. You actually have to do the same kind of un- uh, oversteer that uh, Captain Nick is talking about. Otherwise, you're going to drag one of your main gear wheels in in the grass and hit a taxi light or whatever. And in fact, there there are certain places that we go, there are notes that say, you know, do not use this uh, this taxiway because it's the the angle is just too great. And there's a really good chance you're not going to be able to do it without dragging one of your wheels in the grass. Now, isn't that interesting? Because there are a lot of airfields where on the 600, uh, there are taxiways and corners that we aren't uh, denied permission to use because there's no physical way that we can actually get the airplane around the corner without dragging the main gear off the taxiway. Yeah. LaGuardia is one that was especially tricky landing on runway. What was it? Three one. There was a, a very tight taxiway. I think it was Sierra or Tango. I can't remember now. It's been a while since I've been uh, at LaGuardia. And I think at some point there are so many people that accidentally cut it too close and had that understeer with the main gear that and drugs you know a wheel or two through the grass and destroyed taxi lights that our company basically said do not use that taxiway because it's getting too expensive um but uh we don't have any cameras or anything else to to help us the uh the improved the laguardia improvement uh fund yes project fund (laughs) exactly oh and the other thing interestingly he's talking about how you know, uh, how 
concerned he is or scared or whatever, you know, taxing the airplane because of the wingtips. The number one, I don't normally have nightmares, but if I ever have a nightmare, it's one of these strange, it's the strangest thing. It's always involving taxing an airplane, not on an airport, but in a city somewhere with my wings <laughs> sticking out and hitting things. And I'm, I wake up in a cold sweat. Thinking the I'm spooky gonna, pilot hell dream. I don't know what the uh, heck I'm doing in the middle of a city street <laughs> with my airplane, but it, yeah. So apparently, subconsciously, it's something that it, it is something that concerns me because mm-hmm. it doesn't come out until I'm in my, you know, subconscious world of sleep. I love it. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's so fun. And I've talked to other pilots, and they say, "Oh yeah, I have that same dream." <laughs> I know what he means, though, because even in the 172, sometimes you're, I mean, you're parking in between rows of aircraft that are similar. I mean, it's just scaled down is all it is. Yeah. You still don't have any more space for your aircraft. Um, you no, still no that's mindful. exactly right, Steph, because if you're in a parking area with little airplanes, you'll have very little taxiways. Exactly. And, I've and ridden, little spaces. To, I've to ridden parking. GA airplanes. And thought, oh my gosh, we're going to hit all these airplanes. <laughs> you know, Fred's taxiing around. I'm thinking, oh, this is not. Well, that's good. exactly what I was thinking of. Yeah. That little airport that Fred <laughs> yeah. flies out of is terrible. Because the one advantage he has, is you can see his wingtips. Right, and we yes. can't. We can't see our wingtips. We're that's, having to. Yeah, that's one of the things that's it's hard for us because when you don't see it, then sometimes it's easy to forget that you have these wings. Out of way sight, out, out of mind. Exactly. <laughs> so one of the things we do also, I guess, uh, Zach, uh, that would will kind of give you an idea of how we manage how we taxi the airplane is that one of the things that you learn when you're on your initial operating experience, because normally they don't even talk about it when you're in the sim, because it's like uh, you'll you'll learn it when you're actually on the airplane. Um, they'll they'll say, okay, look at these concrete slabs. And all these slabs have these, um, what do they call those lines that uh, that uh, separate the concrete slabs, uh, expansion joints or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. But and I think that m- there is like a standard um, measurement for how how wide or how long these concrete slabs are. And most people say, in our airplane at least, and from where our cockpit is situated as far as height above the surface, that the uh, if you go out two of these concrete blocks, that's about where your wingtips are. So when you're taxiing and you see, you know, the first line, the second line, and you're getting close to, or you're passing another airplane, uh, and you're looking at it and going, Ooh, that looks pretty close. If you can see that second expansion joint and, and you're on the center line, uh, you should be clearing that, that, uh, airplane or obstacle or whatever else but still sometimes it looks awfully close and if it really looks bad then you just stop and have somebody go out there and you know wing walk for you or even in my jet you can open up the window and stick your head out and actually see where your wingtip is but you have to yeah i i've done that before actually um and the other thing is uh, most of the airports uh, i go to jeff which uh pretty major airports uh they're are safety lines on all, most of the taxiways uh, when you are getting adjacent to stuff, usually a big white line or a double white line. And uh, so long as you can see that the equipment or aircraft uh, is the far side, oh, excuse me, the far side of that line. I'm, I'm gesticulating like a bloody <laughs> Italian here. Um, or a far side of that Italians. line. <laughs> yeah. We did not mean to offend any Italians. Yeah, yeah, sorry about that. Lost, lost another 10 <laughs> listeners. Um, 
Uh, so long as everything is on the far side of those lines, you're you're uh, safe. So long as you are in the correct position on your taxiway. But I, I still, uh, I'm like you. When I see a damn 747 coming the other way, and I'm and we're on two fairly tight taxiways, we're going in opposite direction. I sneak my aeroplane over a couple of meters <laughs> just to the. Yeah, just to give myself a little more room because right. I'm thinking, Ali, he might not be smack on the center line. I'm just going to, you know, run my wheels a little bit tight here. Uh, just I'll be on the safe side. And I tell you what, it, it is one of my nightmares as well because all the time you hear about aircraft uh, hitting each other. Uh, and, uh, of course, it, you know, it happens It happens almost every week. Uh, and, Jesus, it's expensive. Right. Uh, and, and the one thing you really don't need to do is to, Hit another aircraft of your own airline. If you're going to hit mm. another airplane, make sure it's somebody else's. Else <laughs> yes, take out the opposition. <laughs> Especially if you're only 64 days from retirement, you want to be. Very oh, careful. exactly. Yes. God, yeah. can you imagine? <gasps> oh dear. So that's the way to go out in style. Well, you, you did fly one aircraft back, Sands. Uh, winglet one time no nick was that you or? yeah that's right that wasn't yeah. me though uh, well you didn't do, you weren't responsible for no, the missing uh, the crew uh out of uh stand alpha three and uh jfk which is right in the tight corner behind a big blow beside a big blast wall they managed to push the aircraft back and whacked the winglet into the blast wall so uh yeah not the pilot's fault but yeah they whipped the winglet off and then uh, we, for a while, it flew with only one winglet, which looked a bit odd. Um, we operate into Detroit, a metropolitan airport, and on the gates uh, that are on the east side of the terminal, there's not a lot of room there. And they have these taxi lines, and supposedly <laughs> that if your nose wheel is on that center line, the other airplane, another McDonnell Douglas product, coming the other way or whatever other uh, narrow body it is, uh, if they're on their center line and you're on your center line, supposedly you have clearance. But sometimes I'm just like, oh, I don't know. This is really terrifying me because it looks like we're way too close and we're definitely going to hit that airplane. And, uh, yeah, and as you said, do you have any room at all to wiggle like one direction a little bit a little bit wider, yeah. then we'll do it. But in <laughs> yeah, one case, so, on the south side, <laughs> you can't really go too far to the right because there's this wrought there iron wall? fence that's oh, over there, and you're going, oh, <laughs> that looks close, too. <laughs> yeah, Between the devil and the deep blue sea. Yeah. Uh, I think that is something that really is a fear of mine, that I'm going to hit my wingtip against something. Yeah. Uh, hope it doesn't happen. Okay. Um, that was fun talking about. Thank you, Zach. And uh, let's see, continuing with best route to get to the airlines from a rotor head. So that's his question. I've been a longtime follower of the show, but I've never given any feedback. I've always been content to listen to what you, the experts in aviation, who's he talking about, uh, have to say. And I've always valued and respected the wealth of information that is expertly de delivered. I find the four of you very entertaining and always informative. A little bit of my background. I started flying in the summer of 2003. After several hectic months, I received a private pilot certificate. Soon after that, I was accepted to fly the Apache helicopter for the Army National Guard. While at flight school for the military, I was given an opportunity to test out and receive a private helicopter commercial and instrument endorsement on my license. No complex or multi-engine. After flight school, I went home with 
and met an incredible and ultra-supportive person that I fell in love with and have been with ever since. We now have two children and a dog. We even have the white picket fence in the front yard. I've always had a deep passion for aviation, and my heart was always with fixed-wing aircraft, even though I've spent zero hours at the controls of an airplane. After two deployments and countless days training, I have achieved several thousand hours in a helicopter with two turbine engines and was a pilot in command for many years. Unfortunately, I've spent very little time flying in instrument conditions, and my oral knowledge has been just enough to get by. Yeah, me too. Uh, This is due to the fact that if I can't see a target while flying the Apache, I can't engage the target, so instruments have always taken a backseat for me. While in the National Guard, I've always had other career paths to follow. I was first an engineer, and later I found myself managing a digital forensics laboratory for one of the three-letter agencies. I've also done a million other things in between. I retired this last October from the Army Air National Guard after 24 good years under my belt. Yay. Thank you for your service. Um, I never went to college, so I obviously don't have a degree. My last position in the Guard was a full-time position and was our primary source of income for the last five years. Now that my military career is over and I haven't been behind the controls of an aircraft for over five years, I still have deep desire to fly. I have run into some unique medical issues that have been rather difficult to resolve, requiring additional time and effort that most pilots have not had to to address. But I'm working through them one at a time. He puts in parentheses, vague, I know, but I would rather not disclose too much too much to strange strangers is he talking about us are we strange strangers okay so that was very wise (laughs) you're you're right don't we don't need to know yeah ordinary strangers are fine yeah not strange strangers strangers. yeah so uh here is my question to you professionals i would like to become an airline pilot very much like the three out of four of you but i have yet to figure out how to best make this happen There is a large regional airline feeder company here that has offered to send me to school to obtain the hours and type ratings they require while paying me the entire time, but they require a two-year commitment under contract to work for them. I'm a little apprehensive making this decision for various reasons, but primarily I don't want to be stuck in this location any longer, plus the pay is much lower than what I've become accustomed to, at least for the first several years. Do you think that this is a good option for someone in my situation, or should I keep my options open a little longer yet? My financial situation is not desperate, but not infinite either. Any help or advice would be deeply appreciated. Thanks again for the awesome show, and keep up the great work. Clear left, right, and above. Again, that's Ash. Great letter, Lovely letter. Yes, very well written and composed. Thank you as well for your... You're serious. I know yes. Jeff said that already. I couldn't unmute. Yeah, but you guys were mute, muted. I'm sorry. I yeah. didn't mean to catch you off guard with okay. that. Um, so I know that uh, this this outfit that you're talking about with the uh, transition, the rotor to uh, fixed yeah, wing. They just call it rotor transition. Rotor transition. Okay. Sounds like Steph might know something about this. So I'm going to well, let her I, take over. I know. It sounds like I know about what Ash knows about it. Um, okay. I know about, uh, there's at least... One regional I know of, which is, I think, the one he's referring to, but um, it may be other regionals as well that have rotor transition programs um, because they are interested in taking military pilots. Um, they can, you can, um, in terms of hours required, it's lower than other pilots, so 750, but then you also need 250 hours of fixed wing time, I believe. So that's what most rotor pilots are missing is that 250 hours and potentially 
ratings to get through to get their full ATP, uh, depending on what type of flying you've been doing. So it's all about getting those hours, getting the additional ratings, and trying to figure out how to do that in as uh, economical a pathway as possible. Um, it is nice uh, looking at some of the programs that are offered by the regional um, uh, airlines, just because there are uh, guarantees and bonuses, but then they usually do come, like you said, with a commitment to fly with that company for a reasonable period of time. Um, I think where, you know, and again, I think some of this is changing potentially, but not having that college degree, um, you really may be looking at the regionals, at least for a while starting out. Um, it just becomes an issue of how you get to that point of actually starting to fly the line with them. If you're going to do it with a, a company that guarantees, you know, your, your, or gives you a, um, a signing bonus and a pathway to get that stuff done in terms of a training school, a flight school that they partner with or versus doing it on your own. And I do know folks who have done that as well. Um, I don't know with the net, cause I know folks who have used their, their GI bill to pursue some of that, as well, I don't know what the National Guard offers in terms of those benefits. I know that we have several people that listen to our show that are part of our community have mm-hmm. may, gone through this program. And so perhaps those of you that are listening that who have might be able to help us answer this question for Ash. Yes, please do. Yeah. Please do. Um, yeah, I understand his concern about, you know, obviously the pay is not going to be very good or at least what he's accustomed to those first couple of years and kind of, you know, locking yourself in to a company for a two-year contract while, you know, all kinds of crazy things might go on uh, mm-hmm. in the meanwhile. Um, I understand that concern. Um, and I'm, I will say this though, um, you know, two years sounds like a lot of time, but two years goes by pretty quickly also. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't be too, too concerned as long as I've done my research on the uh, company that I'm joining, making sure in terms of their stability and whatnot. And most of the companies that the regional uh, carriers that offer these transition programs are stable. As far as I know, it's not someone who's likely to um, go under or be acquired by someone else. Um, yeah, but if they go there, under, presumably you've had your training. And, yes, and uh, then you can, then you're work. off the hook. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I just, I think the big question more for Ash is, um, what to do about pursuing that college degree. If your end game is trying to get on with a regional or not with a, uh, a mainline carrier here in the United States and, um, and you don't have that college degree, it may be a while of waiting before that becomes reality. Even though I think a lot of us think that's moving that direction. Um, I don't know if you would want to consider working on that in the meantime as well. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of online opportunities for college degrees these days as well. But I, I think if it were me in your shoes, it would be get the ratings and the fixed wing hours done as a priority and figure out what works best for me personally to do that, whether it's a local flight school and tapping into the resources and potentially military benefits to do that, or if it's taking the uh, more of the bonus offers and guarantees from a regional carrier. Yeah, I agree. Again, um, those of you out there who have gone through this and have you know, more recent, um, experience with it, um, please let us know. And so we can give this information to Ash. And the other thing that, um, Jennifer in the, uh, chat room is saying that, um, many regional airlines do have these transition programs. So there might be one that perhaps doesn't lock you in as long as two years, or might have some kind of a buyout 
might uh, be claws. in a more favorable location. Yeah. All kinds of things. And also she says uh, that she recommends the Aviation Careers podcast. Lots of info about this kind of thing there as well. So very good advice from Jen Niffer. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything to add, Captain Nick? Uh, I wish I had more experience of this sort of thing, but I'm afraid this is more your field than mine. Yeah. And even for me, it's like, uh, I know that there are people that are doing this thing in our community, but I don't really know much about it. So, yeah, we're, we're at the wrong end of our careers really to offer this kind of advice, but there are plenty of people out there who are very savvy and yeah. more than willing to contribute. So I'm sure they'll send some information yeah. in. I'm sure. I'm sure of it. Okay. Uh, let's see. Patrick sent us some audio feedback and let's listen to what he has to say. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea at 35,000 feet. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Hey! <laughs> hey guys, Patrick Bliss here. It's the Cockpit Crooner. Uh, last time I talked to you, I had um, called in with a little bit of uh, feedback, a question about um, these sort of airline pilot uh, farms, things like ATP Flight School or FLT Academy. And you guys had some great feedback. Um, since then, uh, and actually on that same episode, another fella called in and you um, made mention of the Air National Guard or the Air Force Reserve um, as potential training avenues. And I wanted to share my experience there because that particular episode inspired me to follow um, that example. Um, I've taken the Air Force Officer Qualification Test. I've taken the TBAS. That's the test of basic aviation skills. Both are required to be considered for a um, UPT or undergraduate pilot training slot uh, with either the reserve, reserve or uh, guard unit. Um, and as it turns out, these slots are incredibly competitive. In fact, most of the people applying for a training slot uh, already have, oh, 100 plus hours um, and some pretty often they at least have private pilots and uh, half the time they've got a bunch of other ratings. So if you're looking at it as a primary training um, resource or you're hoping that the military can pay for your training, it's possible but unlikely um, unless you just really ace the rest of your submission package. now, uh, to make a long story short, and maybe I'll get, do the whole story in another feedback at some point, um, I lost my job uh, at the end of October uh, last year. I was an insurance agent. Believe me, I've done a little bit of everything. Um, and so it made me kind of reevaluate where my life is, and that's what led me to considering flying. Um, because I've always wanted to fly. It's just been one of those things that seemed like it was a little out of reach. And honestly, it still is. I don't have the money for it. So I'm exploring scholarship opportunities and um, you know, Air Reserve and, uh, and National Guard and whatever is out there, grants. Um, and so I wanted, to, uh, I wanted to say for all of the younger uh, APG listeners out there that um, if you are um, graduating high school or still in college, go for all the scholarships and opportunities you can right now because once you're out of college, there is, there, there's just not much available for you. Um, and it is difficult for somebody who wants to get their PPL on a budget. Um, so do it now, do it now, do it now. It's a good time to do it. Definitely do it now. Um, 
uh, that's all, all I got for today. I'm going to do some more soon, I think. Um, I'm about to run out of my three minutes, and so I'm going to cut it short. But uh, I just want to say what an inspiration you guys are. Um, Nick, Jeff, Dana, Stephanie, or Jeff, excuse me, Dr. Steph, you backstabber. Um, I really appreciate what you guys do. Uh, and uh, really keep it up. Keep up the good work. All right. Thanks, Patrick. He got in within that. Th- actually, it was a little over three minutes. Somehow he managed to skate through. Did he use the uh, speak pipe thing? I think he did. Apparently. I believe yeah. so. Okay. Because he thought he yeah. only had three minutes. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, great singing. Uh, I see now why he calls himself the cockpit crooner. And uh, great information. I don't know. I thought he went a little flat in the last couple of notes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Should we just yeah. call you Simon Cowell here? <laughs> oh, my. It um, was lovely singing. Far better than anything I can do. So I well criticize. Come on, stuff. Um, anyway. yeah, I want to hear uh, Kruner and Captain Jeff in a duet. Me too. Yeah, that would be lovely. That would be fun. Some yeah. nice, yeah. nice harmonies going on. <laughs> and I'll, I'll, I'll be able to sing with somebody that when I start going to the harmony that they don't try to sing the harmony too. Oh, with stay on the melody. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, Patrick, uh, great feedback. Thanks for uh, taking the time to do that. Very entertaining as well. And um, good points to be made. Yeah, we do talk about, you know, if you have the opportunity to get on with the guard or the reserve, that's a good way to do it. And they'll, they'll pay you and you'll get great training. Uh, but you're right. I mean, it's not <laughs> it's not like you're just going to sign up and they're going to say, oh, OK, come and fly mm-hmm. one of our jets or whatever. Um, it, it's very competitive. And I, I would say that perhaps some of the maybe more out of the way places uh, might be easier to get into. Uh, their units, um, the, probably the places that are in the bigger metropolitan areas are probably much more competitive, but maybe they're competitive everywhere. I don't know. Um, that's, I'm somebody that doesn't have that experience, but um, good point. Good advice from Patrick. Anything else to add, uh, Dr. Stuff? No, I think he had a lot of good advice. Could yeah. have said it better. Absolutely. And great feedback. Love it, Patrick. Send him more. Yes. More singing. Yeah, we like that. (laughs) Okay. Well, due to physiological limitations, I think that uh, now would be a good time to have this week's episode installment of Plain Tales. Thank the Lord. Yes. Take it away, Captain Nick. The Old Pilot's Plain Tales, Tenerife. For pilots of my generation, that one word doesn't bring to mind thoughts of a warm holiday on the sandy beaches, but something appallingly tragic. Today's the 27th of March, and it's the anniversary of a story that has affected many people in many families in many places around the world. The Boeing 747 was such a remarkable aircraft that it completely changed the face of air travel. Originally designed as a proposal for the USAF's need for a very large strategic transport aircraft, when one trip the president of Pan American World Airways asked Boeing for an airliner twice as big as the 707, they already had something on their drawing boards that could do the job. 
Joe Sutter was transferred from the Boeing 737 development team to manage design studies for the new airliner, and Boeing agreed to deliver the new aircraft by the end of 1969. So short was the time scale, about two-thirds of what was normally expected, that the people who worked on it to bring it home were nicknamed the Incredibles. Developing the aircraft was such a technical and financial challenge that the management was said to have bet the company when it started the project. Despite going into debt by more than $2 billion, the gamble succeeded, and from this vast undertaking came an aircraft that is known worldwide as the Jumbo Jet, and has become an icon worthy of its title, Queen of the Skies. So successful was the aircraft that orders came thick and fast, initially to Pan Am in 1970, but then to many major airlines all around the world who saw it as an important status symbol to have the biggest and the best serve their passengers. The Dutch airline KLM, the oldest in the world, also became a customer when they purchased their first 747-200 in 1971. The island of Tenerife is one of the Canary Islands and a popular holiday destination and on the 27th of March 1977 there were several flights inbound to Gran Canaria International Airport carrying holiday makers who were looking forward to escaping a chilly winter and exchange it for a few weeks in the sun. One was Pan Am Flight 1736, which had departed initially from L.A., but had a stopover in New York before heading out across the Atlantic. The aircraft was named Clipper Victor, and they were carrying 380 passengers, mainly retired folk, plus 13 flight attendants and a flight crew of three, the flight engineer, first officer, and Victor Grubbs, the captain. Captain Grubbs had over 21,000 flying hours, and the aircraft he commanded that day flew Pan Am's inaugural 747 flight seven years earlier. Another 747 was also inbound, KLM Flight 4805, in an aircraft named Rhine. The captain was one of the most experienced pilots that KLM had, their chief flight instructor, Jakob Velheisen, who had over 11,000 hours with 1,500 on type. This flight had been chartered by a travel group and it carried a slightly lighter than normal load of only 235 passengers, 52 of whom were children. As both aircraft were approaching Gran Canaria, there was trouble brewing on the ground. An independence movement was fighting the Spanish government to allow the Canary Islands to become self-ruling. The group had a militant arm that had carried out bombings on the island, and they were targeting the airport. At 1.15 in the afternoon, they exploded a bomb in the Gran Canaria terminal, injuring eight people, and then warned the authorities that there was a second bomb at the airport. The civil aviation authorities closed the airport, and all inbound flights were ordered to divert to Los Rodios Airport on the nearby island of Santa Cruz de Tenerife. The airport there was smaller than Gran Canaria International, but large enough to take a 747. 
Captain Grubbs had good fuel reserves and wanted to hold his Clipper 747 airborne until the airport reopened, but air traffic denied his request and he was ordered to land at Santa Cruz's airport with everyone else. Los Rodios was a regional airport, without the facilities or ramp space to park this sudden influx of large machines. Once the small apron was full, they were forced to park the extra aircraft on the taxiway that ran parallel to the single runway. Before too long, the threat to Gran Canaria International was declared safe and the airport reopened. Keen to get his passengers to their destination, the Pan Am crew asked for clearance to start and taxi out. Unfortunately, the order in which the aircraft arrived and the lack of space meant that Captain Grubbs was blocked in by the KLM aircraft, who was a long way from being ready. Some of the flight crew even got out to measure the distance between the aircraft a mere 12 feet to see if they could safely get around the KLM aircraft, but it seemed impossible. Perhaps expecting a longer delay, the Dutch crew had disembarked their passengers and were refuelling their aircraft with enough to take them to Gran Canaria and then on to Amsterdam without the need to take on any extra. It's likely that the captain thought that, in the long run, this would save time. All the while, the weather at Los Rodios was deteriorating. The airfield is positioned around 2,000 feet above the surrounding sea, and moist air rising up the coast easily forms into clouds, which appear as fog on the airfield. As the clouds drifted past, the visibility would deteriorate to only a few hundred feet, a hundred metres or so, and there was intermittent rain and mist. Eventually, the KLM 747 completed its refuel, but then a family of four went missing, and once they had been found, the flight could eventually get going. There were several things on Captain Veldhusen's mind. The Dutch aviation authorities had recently introduced a new set of duty limitations. They were complicated and very strict, allowing no flexibility, and the captain risked prosecution under the law should he exceed them. So complex were the calculations that he was required to talk to his operations staff in Amsterdam, who gave him an estimated time to take off, which he could not overrun. Another concern was the varying visibility which, since the centre-line lighting at Los Rodios was unserviceable, gave him a higher-than-normal take-off visibility limit. The limit was being broken as the worst of the weather passed overhead, and it would undoubtedly have worried him that this might delay him until he ran out of duty time. With these concerns weighing on his mind, he was at last ready to depart, and he started the form Mighty Pratt & Whitney JT9Ds and requested permission to taxi out. The normal route via the parallel taxiway was blocked by parked aircraft, so the only way to get to the takeoff end of the runway was to taxi down the runway itself. The controller gave permission for KLM to enter and backtrack down the runway until they reached the third turn-off point when they would be clear of the parked aircraft. At that point they could use the taxiway to reach the takeoff point.
The KLM first officer confirmed his instructions. Roger, sir. Entering the runway at this time and the first taxiway, we uh, we go off the runway again for the beginning of runway 30. At this point, the controller changed his mind and said, Correction, taxi straight ahead uh, for the runway and uh, make backtrack. As they groped their way through the fog, the Pan Am aircraft behind them also called for taxi. There is no doubt that the Pan Am crew were also suffering from their own concerns and annoyance at the situation, particularly as they had been delayed two hours longer than necessary while KLM had been refuelled. They were given their instructions, which required them to also enter the runway and follow the KLM, but leave by the third taxiway and complete their short journey to the takeoff point via the parallel taxiway. Communication wasn't easy with the heavily accented controller, and the Pan Am crew asked for clarification on which turn-off they should use to leave the runway. The controller replied, The third one, sir. One, two, three, third one. As the KLM 747 reached the end of the runway, the controller told him to make a 180, and report ready for ATC clearance. In the Pan Am cockpit, the visibility outside was proving a problem for them as well. In addition to trying to complete their pre-takeoff checks, they were having trouble working out which taxiway they should be taking to exit the runway. The small airport diagram they were using wasn't very detailed, and they overshot the third taxiway. They weren't too worried, though, as they could take the fourth instead. Indeed, this was an easier angle of turn for them to make. Having made his 180 turn at the end of the runway, the KLM captain was ready for takeoff. His voice sounded stressed and irritable. He and his crew would have been tired, annoyed and anxious to depart before they ran out of duty time. His first officer called, KLM 4805 is now ready for takeoff and we're waiting for our ATC clearance. The clearance was passed and he read it back. Roger sir, we're cleared to the Papa Beacon flight level 90 until intercepting the 325 and we're now at takeoff. As he transmits the read back beside him, his captain says, We're going, and starts to advance the throttles. In front of the KLM aircraft, invisible in low cloud and fog, the Pan Am 747 is still on the runway, trying to find their turn-off point, and has yet to call clear. In response to the ambiguous call from KLM that they are at takeoff, the controller transmits a hesitant OK, but then adds, Stand by for takeoff, I will call you. That vital standby instruction was blocked by a simultaneous call from the Pan Am crew, who, probably also a bit confused, called, And we're still taxiing down the runway, Clipper 1736. Had either the controllers or the Pan Ams called been heard on the KLM cockpit, 
tragedy could have been avoided, but all that came through on the KLM radio was a loud squeal that often occurs during simultaneous transmissions. A final opportunity to avoid a collision came when the KLM flight engineer heard the tower request that Pan Am called clear and the crew replied, OK, we'll report when we're clear. The flight engineer asked, Is he not clear then? What do you say? replied his captain. Is he not clear then? Again his captain asks, What do you say? The flight engineer tried again. Is he not clear, that Pan-American? Oh, yes, came the emphatic reply. 700 metres away and nearly at flying speed, the Dutch captain sees the lights of the Pan Am aircraft. In desperation, he tries to get airborne and fly over the top. His tail scrapes along the runway and he gets a few feet into the air, but it's way too late. In the Pan Am cockpit, Grubbs exclaims, God am, that son of a bitch is coming. He applies full power and turns hard left towards the grass beside the runway to try to get clear. But at a speed of 160 miles an hour, they can't avoid KLM and the two aircraft collide. The centre of the Pan Am 747 is ripped open by the belly, gear, wings and engines of the other machine, the right engine slicing through the upper deck just behind the cockpit, the wing taking off the flight deck ceiling. 335 passengers on board were killed in the impact and the subsequent fire, but 61, including the flight crew, survived. The first officer tried to turn off the engines, but the fire handles, normally overhead, were no longer there, and anyway, the lines had been cut. He looked aft, and he could see clear all the way to the tail above the remains of a burning and shattered fuselage. He and Captain Grubbs were perched, alone in their seats, 35 feet above the ground. The flight engineer and the jump seat occupant was still strapped in, but now hanging upside down, having fallen through the first-class ceiling below, which collapsed. The fuselage was on fire, the engine still running, but there was little option for the surviving passengers other than to climb out of the shattered cabin onto the wings and jump. A few minutes later, the wing tanks erupted in fire. The crippled KLM aircraft came down 500 feet past the Pan Am machine, careered on for another 1,000 feet before bursting into a huge fireball, a fire that would burn for hours. All of the 248 passengers and crew on board died. The small airport was just not equipped for such a massive event, and hampered by the poor weather, the fire trucks had trouble even finding the crashed aircraft. Eventually, the authorities pleaded for anyone nearby with a car to come and help transport the survivors away to safety. The cause of the accident still provides us with learning points that every pilot flying today can take away. 
it was clear that the KLM aircraft took off without clearance. But how could such a capable captain make such an awful mistake? The pressures on him to fly without exceeding his duty limitations and the marginal weather conditions must have been a major distraction. The frustration, fatigue and building tension that surrounded him all contributed to the accident. However, the most important factor, the most fundamental lesson, and one that many pilots still display to this very day, concerns the use of non-standard radiophrasiology. Communication must always be clear, unambiguous, both between pilots themselves and when talking to controllers. Tenerife remains the deadliest accident in the history of aviation. Wow. Gives me a goose. Even though I've heard the, the It account, never gets easier to, to hear that no, story. It's um, very well done, sir. Um, I know that must have been, you know, something that uh, was, was tough for you to put together because so many people have talked about this story, this tragedy in the past, but uh, you did a, a fantastic job of retelling it. And also, the I think the most important part is what we can take away from it as pilots, you know, that uh, communication is so important. As you mentioned at the very end of it, you know, standardized communications are so important and I don't think people realize how important they are. No, that's exactly right. People think it's, um, you know, it's more relaxed and you can be um, easygoing on the radio. Well, there are times when you can, but there are times when you absolutely have to be certain that everyone has understood what you're saying. And the only way to be sure of that, particularly when dealing with people uh, whose English uh, is not their primary language, so you've got a Dutch guy and a, uh, a guy who normally uh, speaks Spanish communicating in a second language, you've got to make sure you use all the right words. Um, 583 people it's uh, you know it's an incredible hmm. loss of life um and thank the lord um since then you know these kind of accidents have been reduced uh and we've never had anything worse even though some aircraft now carry almost that number of airplanes uh, air people in one aircraft you know the uh, airbus a380 um so, you know, it's just uh, a, a huge lesson, a huge lesson. And uh, you know, although you're right, uh, a lot of people have uh, spoken about it, written about it uh, in the past, um, I still think it's uh, it's worth repeating. And, of course, it's this is more or less the anniversary. It was yesterday, and it was yesterday I recorded it. So hmm. that's why it came to my mind at the time. And hardly a mention was made of it, probably, and most news sources no, out there i i mean i didn't see anything that mentioned it mm -hmm. no no but uh geez uh you know i just oh yeah it it terrifies me because we still we are still so have to be so aware in 
those hotspots on our maps, which have been introduced because there are areas where you can accidentally encroach on a runway, we still hear of people who uh, drive their aircraft onto runways without realizing they've done it with an aircraft getting airborne. Controllers releasing aircraft when there are aircraft uh, still, or giving permission to land when there are aircraft, uh, you know, still taxiing on a on a runway. It, it 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 potential is there almost, you know, I won't say on a daily basis, but it happens so frequently that it, it still gives me, you know, cause for concern. And and I've always said how important it is for us to always be listening to absolutely everything that's happening on the frequency that you're monitoring because you you have to kind of build that picture in your head of where all these airplanes are what they're doing what they're what they've been instructed to do so that when your captain says okay we're going we're we're, we're taking off and you're one of the other crew members and you go wait a minute i i think that the pan am is still not you know not clear of the runway you know what I mean? I mean, it's so easy to say sometimes, yeah. but it's hard mm-hmm. to in practice because we're there are so many things that we're doing. There's so in many the cockpit. pressures and other things going well, on. Pressures, and, yeah. and then we're also running checklists, and mm-hmm. you know, and we're listening to the, or at least I am listening to what's happening in the back with the PA and the intercom and everything else. It's really difficult, but it's um, so important that you have to listen. You can't wait to till they use your call sign to start paying attention to what they're saying on the radio. And I've seen a lot of people do that. You have to pay, be paying attention to everything that everybody is doing, saying out there as best you can. It's amazing uh, nowadays. I would hope that nowadays, uh, first off, uh, we don't really have flight engineers anymore, uh, who was in the same position as the flight engineer was and thought that, well, hang on a minute, that there's there's another aircraft on the runway would do something more dramatic mm-hmm. and shout stop right uh, or so, you know give a command uh, and that's part of the CRM and that's part of the human factors we we're learning about human factors and this was uh, one of the f- uh, first uh, accidents where human factors were really bought into the post accident report uh, the pressures on the captain but. We're also learning that uh, it doesn't matter what your position is amongst on the crew, you have a, a responsibility to everybody uh, to voice uh, your opposition if you think mm-hmm. something is a mistake is being made. And uh, we call uh, it practicing with a questioning attitude, but it's the same mm-hmm. idea, same concept. If something doesn't seem right, speak up and say it. Right. Yeah. Because exactly there's probably right. a reason why you, something is tickling the hairs on the back of your neck. Right. Hmm doesn't seem quite right i could be wrong i don't want to be embarrassed well it's better well, be don't be afraid of your own self-preservation too exactly yeah. yeah very good point yeah all right well let's move on with some more feedback what do you think let's do it yeah sure not sure what uh crew resource management communication uh, played a part in this mm-hmm. crash uh this is sent to us from alex a jet crash at um KHSD, which is, let's see, the... Um, it's in Oklahoma. Yeah, it's in Oklahoma. Uh, Sun, Sun, Sun Park. What was it called? Sundance Airport. Sundance Airport. There we go. Sundance Airport. Um, Alex writes, uh, this is Alex, formerly from Northwest Alabama, now from Central Oklahoma. Hello, Alex. Uh, at about 1535 local today, there was a jet crash at my home field, Sundance Airport. It looks like a west wind 
Twin, uh, Israeli's aircraft, Israeli aircraft industries, Westwind, that flipped as it came over the threshold and landed just left of the runway. Initial supposition is that it was a reverser issue as it touched down or a stall situation. So far, one pilot confirmed dead and one in critical condition. I flew here on Saturday and parked right next to this plane. I've attached a few pics from local TV coverage. I'm scheduled to have my private pilot checkride at this field next Monday, the 25th of March. And then he added, he sent in some more feedback. says, so to come, uh, come to find out, the co-pilot in this crash was my designated pilot examiner, DPE, with mm-hmm. whom I was scheduled to have a checkride next Monday. I didn't know her personally, but she was well-known through the area and a great advocate for aviation. Please send your thoughts and prayers this way. Thanks, Alex. Yeah, it turns out um, reasonably well-known. Like I mentioned earlier in the show, aviation is a small community. So if you have contacts, a member of different you know aspects of the community, you hear about things and people who knew people um, in these types of incidents and accidents. And not only, I think she was a reasonably, or uh, she recently became a DPE, was a local flight instructor for many years and also performed at local air shows with, I forget what aircraft she owned, but um, pretty well-known, well-loved uh, pilot. So oh. thoughts and prayers to all those who knew her. Yeah, the uh, the report from the, uh, let's see, Aviation Safety, uh, what's the name of this website? I don't want to get this wrong. Well, I don't remember. Um, anyway, uh, they uh, have the basic information that we just talked about that Alex told us about. Uh, they don't have really any any information other than that the airplane impacted the runway adjacent, adjacent airport terrain inverted, sustaining substantial damage, and the two occupants on board received fatal injuries. I, I think at first, the first report uh, from the scene was that the the female, the the uh, DPE, uh, was still alive, but apparently she she uh, succumbed to her injuries. Yeah, I know they both they both did. I don't know who was. Yeah, it, so sad. Matters. But yeah. So hopefully we'll we'll learn what happened here. You know, did they get too slow and it was a stall kind of a situation or what? I mean, what would cause the airplane to roll inverted right there toward the end? I don't know. Yeah, I, I you know, if it was a big airport, I would be saying wake turbulence, but uh, no, I yeah. don't know. Doesn't look like it. Yeah. Well, all right. Well. Hopefully we'll learn something from this. Yes. Yeah. And hopefully I was just going to say, I'm assuming that means that Alex did not take his check ride this past Monday. Um, Might not, I mean, you know, just with all, all of those circumstances, that's one of those things where it's not a bad idea to, you know, just put a little bit of time and then regroup and go forward, but definitely let us know how it goes when you are able to proceed with all that. If you haven't already and um, yeah, we'll be rooting for you for your private pilot too. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit of a shocker when you find out someone so closely attached to your career uh, as a pilot, uh, you know, has just died in such tragic circumstances. So I can understand how you'd feel upset, old chap. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah, I, we, I was doing my uh, initial flying training when we had a dreadful accident on the airfield I was learning to fly at. And uh, we, as uh, very uh, young pilots, all ran out to the flaming wreckage. And uh, uh, I must admit, it was uh, a shocking sight. 
But um, uh, what was interesting was our flying instructor uh, later on that day made sure that we all got a, a short 10-minute, 15-minute extra flight, and we all practiced a couple of touch-and-goes just to make sure that no one um, had a feeling of that they didn't want to get airborne again. So he kind of, you know, it was a bit like, uh, you know, making sure you get back on the horse after you've fallen off. I don't know whether that was good psychology or not. Uh, didn't, didn't. Uh, I mean, it worked for me, fine, mm -hmm. and it worked for the rest of my fellow students, but uh, it's an interesting thought. Wow, that that is interesting. I think the the tendency would be in most places to say, okay, we're not going to do any more flying for the rest of the day. Um, but to get back on that horse right away, um, mm. that might have been the best thing to do. Yeah. Okay, moving on. Uh, eight, Heather. Hello to all. I'm new to the podcast and have been trying to catch up by listening to some of your old episodes. Ah, you'll never get there. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. I just listened to the one that touched on the Southwest Flight 1380 and just had something to add in respect to the special attention being paid to Tammy Jo Schultz as a female pilot. I think your point in the show was that we should be progressing or trying to progress to a society that doesn't take into account people's color, gender, etc., but should judge or just judge them on their actions. I agree with you, but... And she's put in parentheses, of course there's a but. The legacy of the inequality that existed before means there aren't, wait, the legacy of the inequality that existed before means there aren't many female pilots as role models for girls who want to be pilots today. The reason this is important is because several studies show, and I can send you the links if you're interested, that, I believe you, Heather, uh, that kids strongly identify with role models who are like them, and the more alike they are, the stronger the identification, and that this identification can lead to things like greater interest in the field and the perception that they too can follow in the footsteps of their role model. My own daughter perked up when she heard the news, completely uninterested at first, and then, oh, wow, mom, the pilot was a girl? I can't think getting more little girls interested in aviation and thinking it's a, vi a viable career path for them is anything but a good thing whether Tammy Jo Schultz deserved the attention or not. Sorry if this is coming off like a lecture. Hopefully not. No, it's not. Just trying to present a different way of looking at the event and the media coverage as a positive thing in some aspects. And in a similar vein, I have a possible suggestion for Plain Tales, The Night Witches. I apologize if it's been covered already in one of the shows I haven't gotten to yet. At any rate, thanks for the enjoyable podcast. Heather. Well, Heather, I really thank you for sending this in, and you do make a good point um, that you know having or not having many examples for for people to look up to uh, is, uh, is is an important thing. It's an important point to make, and I I uh, kind of retract a little bit of my my uh, I guess disgust with. Um, trying to you know make such a big deal of it um, and I guess from my perspective I, I don't quite under I didn't quite understand now I do uh, from your lecture I'm just kidding you didn't lecture um, you did a very nice job of um, making me understand why it was important that they made kind of a big deal out of the fact that Tammy Jo Schultz was a female pilot I'll just play devil's advocate for a minute moment 
Um, I will say, I think making uh, certainly, yes, uh, all of the accolades, you know, she did a fantastic job doing what she was supposed to do as a pilot in that type of a unexpected and terrifying situation. Um, however, I would also say that the more normalized we make these things going forward, no matter which gender is involved, presents things as still presents it as a good uh, role model to young boys, to young girls, doesn't matter which. Um, I'm not saying that we shouldn't make a big deal of these things because it does um, promote these folks as, as role models and make um, make these types of career paths and more realistic to kids who might be considering them or who maybe never considered them. Um, but I also think it's not a bad idea to not emphasize as much Oh, yes, it was because uh, or we're making a big deal of it because of this person's gender background, whatever. Just present them as the role model that they deserve to be, as anyone could be. I'll say that. But I'm not disagreeing with you, Heather. I think you've made a good point. And we yeah, do I think, yeah, she did make a very good her. point that I had not considered. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's just my take on it. What do you think, Nick? Uh, you as a um, female pilot. Oh, I'm sorry. I wasn't supposed to talk about that. Uh, I, by the way, I love the idea of the Night Witches. Uh, thanks very much. Uh, I don't know anything I, about the Night Witches. Uh, I do now. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're doing a little research there on yeah, this. Yeah, a little bit of instant uh, uh, Wikipedia. And uh, this sounds uh, good. If I can find enough information about it to make it, uh, uh, you know, uh, into a spectacular plain tale, I will. But just the idea that. Um, this, these were a bunch of uh, uh, Russian, uh, a Russian female bomber aviation regiment. Mm -hmm. So they were all uh, female pilots, and uh, they were called the the night witches by mm -hmm. the German soldiers, who likened the sound of broomsticks. I'm not quite sure whether it's very complimentary towards all these female. You know, now that pilots. you mention it, I I think I remember reading something about this. That they, uh, that people were scared to death of them. Yeah, exactly. So I, because I they because they'd fly at night exclusively, I think, and correct nobody yeah. was. I remember aware, correctly. Yeah, do you remember something about this? Yeah, I, I I mean, I've definitely come across the story before. I don't know the details exactly, oh, but yeah, I think you got to make a plane correct. tale of this. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. if I can, if I can find enough, I will. Okay. Uh, yeah, certainly. And and do one on Bewitched too. I love that show. Yeah, I used to love that show too. <laughs> Just gotta, yeah. Didn't yeah. um oh gosh, what was the the mother's name like? Didn't she used to oh, sit on like outside the Esmeralda or Esmer something? Yeah, I no, forget exactly. No, I but wasn't there like a recurring thing where like they would be on an airplane and she would be sitting outside like on the wing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was her name? She always called Endora. Endora. Liz Her, oh, thank you, Excellent. Liz. Yeah, <laughs> oh, awesome. Well, thanks what again. Other, what was the other similar one about uh, an Air Force guy who uh, oh. had a genie? Yeah, I dream genie. of genie. My uh, Major Nelson. Yes. Fact, there you go. Every time oh. somebody tells me uh, that they live in Cocoa Beach, I go, "Oh, do you live like near anywhere near Major Nelson?" <laughs> then they go what no they always go no <laughs> they, they know they know they know the reference uh, like, yeah uh, we've never heard that one before yeah i know but it's still funny for me <laughs> i crack myself up sometimes 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not anybody else, but okay. We'll humor you. Yeah. Occasionally. <laughs> Thank you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Here we go. Eugene sends us this, how I got here. Um, let's see. Hello to the APG crew. Sorry for the long email, but I've been listening to your show for a while now and I wanted to write to you. My name is Eugene Houston. I live in Las Vegas, Nevada, and I am a 737 first officer for Roadrunner Airlines. Uh, we can tell, we can say what it is. I don't know if he wanted us to or oh, not. Oh, never I think mind. that's why it's Forget in parentheses. Beep. <laughs> and uh, wanted to give you guys a quick history. I've been listening to various podcasts for years and one day, a number, so I probably should read that paragraph again. My name is Eugene Houston. I live in Las Vegas, Nevada, and I'm a 737 first officer for Roadrunner Airlines. And I wanted to give you guys a quick history. I've been listening to various podcasts for years and one day, a number of years back, decided to see what aviation podcasts were out there. After doing a search, I came across Catholic Pilot and kept going. Nothing against your Catholic religion. I was just looking for a pilot podcast, not a religious podcast. Yeah, I understand. Fast forward a few years, and I'm a captain at Acme Jr. and flying with a soon-to-be captain, Steve Horn, and he tells me about the Airline Pilot Guy podcast and how he wrote in saying, as a new captain, he is disappointed that he can't grow a mustache. (laughs) I get to the hotel and download your podcast, and I really like what I hear, so I thought I had OCD. I go back to the beginning. Of course, now listening to past episodes, it sounds like it is a very, very bad case of APG syndrome. In fact, it might be the worst you've ever heard. Today is 19 March 2019, and I'm still trying to catch up. I'm on episode 276. Just a few episodes beyond the Pittsburgh Air Show. Wow. That was back in, what, May of 2017? It was a while ago. Or 20. Yeah, 2017. Yeah, 2017. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's been almost two years. Bless your heart. <laughs> we need somebody to go and find. Eugene. And he needs he'll go. a shot of pen- go around a cylinder. Yes, something. <laughs> something. Okay. Uh, let's see. It was an, it was easy for a while for me to try to catch up as I was a captain at Acme Junior commuting from Las Vegas to Minneapolis St. Paul on the CRJ and Chicago O'Hare on the E one seventy five. On the commute to work and home, it was easy to get through a two or three two to three hour episode. Now I'm only a 10 to 15 minute drive away from work, so it's a bit harder, but I'm not a quitter as you will see in my how I got here and I will eventually catch up. Even though I am almost two years behind, you can feel free to read this immediately. I will be pleased to be listening in the future and hear this and I can use it as a marker to see how close I am to catching all the way up. I'm not as creative as Steve Horn, so I won't be recording this and putting it to music, but without further ado, here is my how I got here. I've wanted to be a pilot for as long as I can remember. I grew up in South Everett, about 30 miles north of Seattle, just a stone's throw away from Payne Field. That is where those sexy, sleek-looking Boeing airplanes are made. Sorry, Nick, but in my opinion, an Airbus has a look that only a mother can love. Oh, that wasn't nice. That was not nice. No. Anyway, to further my love of aviation, I grew up on 137th Street, And on 146th Street was a small, now-closed, Martha Lake Airport, identifier Sierra 13. It had a little 1,700-foot strip of runway, and in elementary school into junior high, I would ride my bike up there and just watch the airplanes take off and land. I would then try to see if some pilot working on his plane would take the time to talk to a kid dreaming of becoming a pilot. When it came time for college, 
there was only one thing I was going to do, go to school, go to a school that offered a professional pilot program. I started my first year at a school in eastern Iowa, the University of Dubuque. Then I transferred to a school in middle of Nebraska, the University of Nebraska, Kearney. When I graduated in May 2000, I was a commercial multi-rated pilot with a flight instructor certificate. I stayed out in Nebraska an extra year, working at the FBO and flight instructing. The following spring, I decided it was time to move back to the Pacific Northwest, so I called every flight school I knew of, and everyone told me, currently we don't need any instructors, but our current CFIs are college students. Call us back in the fall when they go back to school, and we will need instructors then. In the meantime, I found a CFI job just south of Las Vegas, Nevada, so in April 2001, I packed up my car and moved to southern Nevada. My plan was to only be there for a short time and in the fall move back to the Pacific Northwest. Well, if you're following my timeline, I wasn't able to move back that fall because that fall was 9-11. To make matters worse, a couple of months later in December 2001, I was carrying an aircraft and had a gear up landing. So here I am in early 2002 trying to get any flying job I can get, and I'm going up against guys that have more experience than me furloughed airline pilots. And I had to mark yes to the question, have you ever been involved in an aircraft accident? I was able to find a a job flying skydivers in a town just outside of Las Vegas. But by fall of 2002, I was once again unemployed. One of my fellow skydiving pilots used to work the ramp for Cactus Airlines, America West. So I called him and asked, asked if Cactus was still hiring on the ramp. He told me that Cactus is always hiring and to not apply there, but the rampers at Roadrunner Airlines uh, seem a lot happier, and if I go ramp, I should apply there. I didn't know much about Roadrunner Airlines being from Seattle. Eskimo Airlines was the big dog in town, and I left the state of Washington for college just shortly after Roadrunner started service in and out of SeaTac International Airport. I went ahead and applied for the ramp position, but was not, but was not invited for an interview at that time. Having previous experience working at an FBO, I applied for a position with one of the fueling companies at McCarran International Airport in Las Vegas, Nevada, and got that job in late 2002. The company I was working for split their fuelers up in two groups. You either only fueled for Roadrunner, which was, uh, which was and still is the biggest carrier out of Las Vegas, or you drove the trucks and fueled all the other airlines that had a contract with this company, United, Delta, Frontier, etc., I was placed on the Roadrunner road runner half of the operation, which worked out because I got to know all of the Roadrunner ramp agents and ramp supervisors. 2003, I find myself working at Las Vegas at a, as a Roadrunner fueler with an accident on my record and absolutely zero hiring going on in the airline ranks. In fact, the airlines were furloughing pilots and taking away a lot of the benefits, and I'm thinking, my dream of being an airline pilot is just a pipe dream now. I find out that the Nevada Air National Guard in Reno flies C-130s and is always looking for pilots. I traveled up to Reno to talk to the C-130 pilots and they tell me that they hold a pilot board or two every couple of years and prefer prior enlisted members. So after talking to the aerial port, I enlist as an A-1C in the, that's Airman First Class, in the Nevada Air National Guard and find myself at U.S. Air Force Basic Training in San Antonio, Texas. 
I come back to my fueling job full-time and go to Reno one week in a month, waiting for the next pilot board in Reno. I also get deployed a couple of times to Travis Air Force Base, Ramstein Air Base, and Inserlik Air Base in Turkey. In early 2005, Roadrunner is hiring again on the ramp, and all the ramp agents and supervisors that I know from fueling tell me to put my name in for an interview. On March 1st, 2005, I became a ramp agent for Roadrunner. During that time, I find out how political the officer program in the military is. I'm not a very good political player, so I go up twice for the C-130 board in Reno, and the second time I'm turned down. The lieutenant colonel in charge calls me and tells me to not try for the pilot position again. I continue to work the ramp at Roadrunner and go up to Reno to continue my enlistment with the guard, but my heart isn't in it. There are times when pushing back those beautiful 737s, pilots are still on hot hot mic, and I hear oil pressure light off as they're starting the engines, and I'm thinking that this is where I should be, but that's still just a pipe dream. In early January 2006, things started to turn around for me. I met a beautiful-looking Roadrunner customer service agent named Michelle, and we started dating. During the course of our dating, she tells me she has a supervisor whose boyfriend named Chris flies for Acme Jr., uh, about a month later, we were all at a goodbye party for a co-worker who was transferring out of Las Vegas to another station, and Chris happens to be there. Chris and I started talking, and he tells me Acme Jr. is looking for pilots, and he would gladly walk my resume in for me. After a couple of months, and still no calls from Acme Jr., one day I log on to Acme Jr.'s website and notice they are coming to about 10 different cities to conduct pilot hiring group interviews, and one happened to be Las Vegas, and it was on one of my natural days off at Roadrunner. I showed up and there were about 15 to 20 of us in the room where they played a video for us and had a couple of people, some pilots and an HR rep, talk to us. And then they pull us aside one by one to do a short 10-minute one-on-one interview. I sit down with the guy and the first words out of my mouth are, just so you know, I have an aircraft accident on my record. (laughs) He asks me to tell him about it. And as I'm telling him the story, he is writing notes. He then asks me some general flying questions and what I know about Acme Jr., why Acme Jr., etc. And then he tells me not to worry about my accident, as it was six years earlier and I probably learned more from it than anything, and he still wanted to invite me to Salt Lake City for a formal interview. In April, which by coincidence happened a couple of days before my birthday, I was in Salt Lake City and at my first airline interview. A couple of weeks later, I get a call saying they want to hire me to start flying the Embraer 120 Brasilia and are going to FedEx me the study material to get ready for the ground school. I was so excited, I wrote up a two-week notice with Roadrunner, and it turned out uh, it turned it in that afternoon before my shift started. June 7, 2010, I was in Salt Lake City sitting in a class and getting ready to start my first 121 ground school. For the next 11 years, I was a pilot for Acme Jr., I started as an Embraer 120 first officer for three years, based in FAT, Fresno, California, and then I spent three years as a CRJ 200, 700, 900 first officer, mainly based in Denver, but with short stints in Houston Intercontinental, Salt Lake, and Los Angeles. I even had a six-month deployment to Bagram, Bagram, Afghanistan. I then upgraded to Embraer captain for one year, in, based in Palm Springs, California transition to the 200, 700, 900 captain uh, for two and a half years. And my final year was an E-175 captain based mostly in Chicago, or O'Hare, with my final month based in San Diego. 
My E-175 training was really cool because Chris, the guy that walked my resume in 10 years earlier, was my IOE captain and was the one who signed me off the aircraft, or signed me off on the aircraft. In April 2018, my flying career went full circle as I found myself in Dallas, Texas, at a welcome dinner as one of Roadrunner's newest first officers. In fact, my birthday fell on our third day of ground school, so a pretty cool birthday gift. It was even a bit funny as they gave me my original employee number back, so I look really senior on paper, but as far as bidding, flying, vacation, etc., I'm still very junior. A couple of captains, though, are surprised when I tell them I'm on probation and they take a second look at my employee number, which is sometimes senior to their own employee numbers. So now I can say I'm with the company that I will fly for for the rest of my career. I ended up marrying Michelle. I'm still in Las Vegas after 18 years. Remember, my original plan was to be here for less than a year. And I'm probably the only guy still enlisted in the military and yet a professional pilot. In July 2023, I will have been in for 20 years. More than a couple TSA agents are shocked to see me in my pilot uniform and looking at my Air Force ID with an enlisted rank on it. I wanted to write this because I've heard many people write in and ask if they can still follow their dream of becoming a pilot. The answer is a very strong yes. I have an accident on my record. I had the bad timing of September 11, 2001, and slow economy. I took the very first upgrade available to me at Acme Jr., and that was six and a half years. I know guys now upgrading there in 18 months and being rejected by the military. I thought my dream had become that, just a dream. I took the huge pay cut, $18.75 per hour my first year, to go to a regional. But I can say now, I'm honestly living the dream. I know most guys say that with sarcasm, but absolutely zero sarcasm from me when I say that. If you're worried about age, don't be. My Roadrunner new hire class had the youngest, oldest guy in class at 50. The previous class actually had a 60-year-old new hire. Wow, that's interesting. In closing to Captain Nick, I've taken a few jabs at Airbus, but in all honesty, I really hope there's someone out there like me, except they grew up a stone's throw away from an Airbus or the Airbus factory in France and flying Airbuses around the world that they dreamed of since they were a kid too. Sorry about the long letter, but I love listening to your show, hearing different questions fans have, and I just wanted to add my two cents. In the meantime, I will keep an eye on your schedules, see if any of your overnights either take you through Las Vegas or matches up with one of mine at Roadrunner. The first couple IPAs will be on me. Eugene Houston. Wow. So, wow, what a story. I mean, this man persevered uh, and, uh, you know, didn't give up and tried to do every path that he could to get where he wanted to go. And it finally worked out for him. Gigi had some bad luck along the way, though, didn't he? Yeah. I mean, what, what timing? Uh, the, I mean, an accident, if you ever give up problem, uh, well, you know, put your hands up or if it's a system failure, who cares? But 9-11 was just a nightmare for so many pilots, both working and those definitely trying to get into the industry. So my hat off to you. I know I say that a lot, but really I mean it because, uh, Eugene, you, you fought through an awful lot of problems to uh, finally get where you wanted to be. And uh, I think it's an inspiring story. Thanks very mm -hmm. much for telling it. I think um, 
probably the number, well, the most common recurring feedback we get is from someone trying to figure out how they get into the industry the best way to do it, given their individual circumstances, if they're too old to change careers, that comes up a lot. And I think Eugene has just put all of those fears and concerns to rest. If there's a will, there is a way for the vast majority of you folks out there who want to do this for a career. As Liz very nicely put in the uh, chat room, uh, your wife, Eugene, must be amazing. Well done to her. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's so important to have somebody to really support you through all of this. And I was very impressed that Eugene, after the second or however many times he tried to uh, get into the officer ranks so that he could go to pilot training in the military, uh, that he continued to stay in the in the guard and and uh, you know work for the country, support his country, or defend his country in that way. That's very impressive, I think. Yeah, yeah exactly. and thank you to you too for your service. We said that yeah already before today. That's true. Yeah, we've said it a few times today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and let me assure you, Eugene, I have actually no uh, beef uh, about Embraer. I think they're a great company. <laughs> no problem at all. So uh, if you want to slang uh, Airbus, I don't care. That's great. You go for it. <laughs> you, you can have a, a, a free hit. I won't even fight that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's good. I just oh. like the thought at the end of the little kid growing up next to the Airbus factory in Toulouse. Yeah. Oh, yeah. there's, uh, there are a bunch down there, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, wee wee. <laughs> All right. Um, and I'm talking about the yes, yes in French, not the other wee wee. Okay. Item number 10. Uh, wanted to drop you all a quick line. This is Thomas Merriman. Uh, regarding a question I had listening to your latest episode. I'm not sure which one he was talking about, but... Uh, Anyway, thanks as always for the great show and for managing to have me come up with new questions and challenging my assumptions on operations and standard operating procedures. And so he sends us this uh, uh, audio feedback. I'll tell you what, before we do that, uh, Liz is advising us that we have now under 15 minutes left in the show, uh, if we're going to keep it to three hours. Uh, Do you... Want me to continue with this one, Liz, or would you suggest maybe some other feedback or a combination of some more feedback? We'll wait for her to answer after a few seconds. Give it about 30 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy this brief pause. Yes. From your regularly scheduled APG. We'll program. listen to Stephanie sing Jive No, Jive. we won't. <laughs> we won't. Come Never. on. I want, I want to hear you. No, you don't. You might. No one else does. <laughs> I promise. I think, actually, I th- I've heard Seth, uh, Stephanie sing. I think she's a good singer. I sing just fine in my car with the volume up so loud I can't hear myself. <laughs> and, oh, saved by Liz. She's looking. Okay. okay. And also in the shower. Also with the volume turned up so loud that I can't hear myself. <laughs> Everybody's a good singer in the shower, right? Just beautifully in those situations. <laughs> hmm. You know how I can, how I know it's, um, I'm still not actually singing well, is that sometimes, especially if it's on like Bluetooth or something, the audio will cut out for just half a second. <laughs> and you'll hear your... And I only hear myself and I'm like, oh my gosh, that sounds so bad. <laughs> I thought you were going to tell me, you hear the dogs uh, howling in the background. Oh, well, no, the music's up loud enough, I can't hear them either, <laughs> although I'm sure they are. 
Okay, she suggests that 11, we 14, do... 16, 18, 19. Yeah. I don't know. That's, That's optimistic pretty, there, Liz. Very optimistic, but let's go for it. Okay, so Thomas, if you're if you're watching the video, uh, we're going to get yours next time for sure. But it, because it's really good audio feedback and a great question. Okay. 11. Logan. Hello, APG crew and wonderful community. Just wanted to give you a what about us? We're wonderful too. Anyway, I just wanted to give you a little update on what's going on. I took the Air Force officer qualifier, qualifier test for the Air Force Reserves two weeks ago. Ugh, I'm getting... Would you like tired. me to read this one? Yes, please. Excellent. Hello, AVG crew and wonderful community. Just wanted to give you a little update on what is going on. I took the Air Force officer qualifier test for the Air Force Reserves two weeks ago. Not the best scores I could get, but it was a step in the right direction. My next step is to... Take the best test in basic aviation skills, and then I can start building my packet to submit. I am very excited to be taking these steps towards the flight deck. I also wanted to thank you, Jeff, and your first officer, Jason, for the fantastic meetup last month in Melbourne, Florida. Both of your insights and words of encouragement were very motivating. Love you all, and the community you have brought together. Hope to see everyone at Oshkosh. Logan Lynch. Awesome. God, Osh Oshkosh is going to be very crowded. Yeah, there are going to be a lot of people there. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun. Well done. Logan. Yeah, and uh, really enjoyed meeting you and your wife, Logan, uh, in Melbourne. And uh, that's awesome. Um, keep us apprised as to how your journey progresses. All right. Um, which one next? Uh, um. 14. <laughs> oh, have you ever heard of this guy? He has a podcast. Ready for Takeoff podcast. George Nolly? George, no, yeah, that's him. He sent us some audio feedback, and it's short. Let's listen to it. Hi, Jeff and crew. This is George Nolly from the Ready for Takeoff podcast. Uh, I have some information to share with you, but first I want to tell you a story about the airline pilot who was doing a walk around on his airplane, and it was a miserable, cold, snowy day, and he recognized the guy doing the servicing of the lavatory and he was about to go up and talk to him when the connection came loose and the guy doing the servicing got covered with blue gook that just spilled out all over him and it was smelly and it was awful. And the pilot went up to him and said, I recognize you. You were a pilot at our airline and you retired with a healthy pension. Uh, what are you doing servicing lavatories? And the guy covered with this blue gunk said, I just can't get out of aviation. And here's what I have to tell you about myself. I'm back. I just at age 74 got hired by my old airline, which we will call Acme Blue, to be a ground school instructor on the 737. So I'm back. Well, that is great news. <laughs> well, but, awesome. but I don't, so you're calling it Acme Blue because you're the one that got the blue juice sprayed all over you? I don't Yeah. Quite. You know, funny, George, I, <laughs> I told that almost identical story. Uh, not quite the same way I, I told it. Uh, the lecture I gave uh, just the other day um, about uh, why I uh, stopped having a career in aviation. Yeah, I think it's a great story. <laughs> it's a great story. <laughs> And congratulations to uh, becoming a, what do you say, a ground school instructor? Ground instructor. Yeah, the you. That's awesome. You guys still have ground school instructors? At, well, apparently uh, uh, MCAS is a big thing. Oh, uh, mm. yeah, I guess so. 
Well, that's that's fantastic, George. Can't wait to hear how that goes. I'm sure we will be getting some more feedback from him soon. Yes, I'm sure. And remember, you need to be listening to his podcast, Ready for Takeoff. Yeah, it's great interviews. Though. It was really good. Um, skipping to 16, Radio Roger. Ooh. He says, hi, Jeff. I know your listeners already get a lot of me, so I won't be offended if you don't use this. Okay, let's skip to it next. I was going to say there's a lot of him to go around. (laughs) But I think it raises an interesting issue. Okay, so let's listen to what Roger has to say. Greetings, APG crew and listeners. Radio Roger here. I know you hear enough of me at the beginning of the podcast, so I hope you'll further indulge me with this feedback. It involves Captain Nick's excellent and moving plane tales in episode 366. That's the story of a young Pan Am flight attendant who sacrificed her life in 1986 trying to save passengers during an attempted hijacking in Karachi. I was surprised to learn that Pan Am had a policy of having their pilots escape out of the flight deck window during a hijacking on the ground so there would be no one on board to fly the plane. I certainly understand the logic, but I can't imagine that this sits well with a captain and senior officers to abandon passengers in a crisis, leaving their safety in the hands of a purser who is a much more junior officer, even if that policy is for a higher strategic purpose. I wanted to ask you APG captains whether your carriers have a similar policy and can you talk about it? And more importantly, how would you feel in a situation like that? After all, you're the ones responsible for the safety of a flight and everyone on board. And by tradition, you're supposed to be the last one on board in case of an emergency. I think it's an interesting question, and I'll be fascinated by your take on this. Radio Roger, over and out. Nick? What a great question. That really is a great question, because things have changed a great deal from those days. I mean, uh, um, we went through a period where um, we would negotiate with uh, um, possible hijackers, and um, then 9-11 came along, and the whole attitude towards what hijackers wanted to achieve when they came on board the aircraft changed, and their presence became such a possibly deadly um, influence on the aircraft that uh, we just needed to put up the big barrier of uh, that uh, bulletproof uh, flight deck door that now exists that cuts us off from so much of our uh, enjoyment that we used to have uh, Mm -hmm. entertaining passengers on the flight deck and all that sort of thing. But that door there really uh, gives us the time to get the aircraft on the ground, and that is the number one aim. If we're if we're threatened in the air, um, the first thing we'll do is to put the aircraft down as quickly as we safely can, and that door will give us the time to do that. Uh, and quite honestly, considering um, the things that might be happening on the other side of the door, it might be something that we would... Um, have in our worst nightmares for the rest of our lives. But we will do that because 
once you're on the ground, the authorities are there, the personnel are there to deal with uh, whoever has hijacked your aircraft. And we're not equipped in the air to do much about it. So uh, that is the uh, that is the current uh, thought. And um, this, they've gone through evolutions during uh, aircraft, uh, aviation history of how we react to hijacking. But um, uh, nowadays, that's it. The idea of leaving my uh, aircraft um, in the hands of someone junior whilst I escaped, yeah, I can understand the logic of it, but I'm with you. It's the last thing I would want to do. I would, you know, my brief to my first officer when I brief the um, emergencies is that I want him to be first off the aircraft to ensure the safety of the passengers on the ground around the aircraft, but I will be the last off the aircraft and I will exit through the most rearward door. So I will make my way through the cabin, hopefully with my senior flight attendant, because, uh, you know, we're the two that really have the um, safety of our passengers most closely to our hearts. Um, we're going to go through the cabin and try and make sure that everyone who can be helped out of the aircraft has been helped out of the aircraft, and then we'll escape together down the Mac end. And that is generally my feeling. Um, it would break my heart to uh, have to leave an aircraft knowing that there was someone still on board. Yeah. As you suspect, Radio Roger, you know, we can't go into a lot of detail because this is something that, you know, it's just somewhat confidential. But I agree with everything that Nick just said. And the fact that everything changed on September 11th, 2001, uh, the way we handle these kind of situations. Okay. Um, huh. Haven't heard from uh, George in a while. George Nolly. Um, he has a podcast ready for, wait a minute. Just kidding. He did. He, <laughs> it's like deja kidding. vu all over again. Yeah, really. Okay. Um, hi, Jeff. I'm not sure if the expression going commando comes from military commandos not wearing underwear, but I know for a fact that the grunts in the field in Vietnam did not wear underwear to prevent chafing. Go to, and then he gives us a link, um, and do a keyword search for underwear for one example. A friend who has a dad in the army said they still do not wear underwear when they're on patrol. Wow. I had no idea. And I, uh, I'm surprised by that, actually. Um, that's an interesting fact, George. Um, he said he also really loved this week's plane tales, especially the part about the Skyrider spelling C-L-I-N-T in all caps. <laughs> George, I'm glad that he enjoyed that. <laughs> you know, when you were telling that in, the, in your plane tales, I was hearing it and listening it, to it, but it wasn't until George wrote it out that I went, oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, no, I, I get what you were saying. I might be able to put a picture of it, but I'm a bit worried about uh, you know the younger viewers <laughs> taking a look yeah. at it because it spells a very best. rude word. <laughs> Let's don't do that. Okay, and uh, Liz tells us to uh, just reference this last one uh, from Liz. Uh, she said that uh, APG community member Ben Ippolito is the subject of an article on his ATC job in. Australian Flying Magazine. Oh, good job. Well done, Ben. Very cool. So we're going to put this link to australianflying.com.au 
And um, again, as you said, it's about our good friend and community member, Ben Ippolito. And uh, it's about his job working in air traffic control. So Excellent. It's, really good it's article. a very well-written article. I, I went through it a while back and uh, thought yeah. how much uh, I enjoyed it. Way to go, Ben. It's nice to be highlighted in something like this. A very important job. Okay. I think that's going to do it for today. So we skipped a couple, uh, but uh, we knocked out most of the feedback, surprisingly. And uh, we'll move all the stuff that we didn't get to in this show to the next. And let's see. Let's talk about how you can learn more about the show. Uh, the AirlinePilotGuy.com website is the place to go to find out more information about the crew and the community and other stuff. Uh, we also have apps for your iOS or Android devices. And, oh, excuse me. And we're on social media. We are. You can head over to Twitter uh, using the handle APG Crew. You can interact with all of us there if you are uh, the sort that likes to communicate in 280 characters or less. You can also find our individual Twitter information pinned to the top of that page. Uh, you can also head over to facebook.com slash... Oh, wait. Does it all come in one word? No, I forget. I don't know. It's late. I've had a long day. Facebook.com. <laughs> search for Airline Pilot Guy. But I think you can do... Uh, Facebook.com slash Airline Pilot Guy. It's all one word. Yep. You know, I do this every week. You'd think I'd remember where Oh, sorry, it's been a long day, everyone. Anyway, head over there. Lots of good community interaction, news stories being shared, people discussing uh, meetups and general goings-ons within the aviation community. And for more on meetups and the like, we'll head, hand it over. Wow, well, I can't talk either, Jeff. <laughs> Hillel, it's your turn. It's been a long show. Yeah, <laughs> Hillel, can you speak straight here? Hello. Oh, <laughs> apparently not. Nope. Uh, <laughs> nope. Hillel. Uh, let me bring the volume up here on this. Okay. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share ideas and news. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra, Lima, Alpha, Charlie, Kilo, at AirlinePilotGuy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled H-I-1-1-E-1, Hotel India, one one Echo 1, and see you in Slack. And a big thank you again to our producer, Liz Piper, up in Toronto. Thank you for all the work that you do to kind of make us sound and seem like we're aviation experts. Yes. And until next time, wishing you clear skies and limited visibility and tailwinds. Take care and God bless. Cheers, y'all. Bye, everybody. Good day.